Duncan and both come correct. Let's let's do a little peek behind the curtain. This this is actually breaking tradition. Like I've been a bit superstitious with these episodes because I, I feel like they've been really good lately. Uh, if I if I do say so my own self. Uh, so I, the one thing I'm doing different is that right there. We're gonna have ourselves oh. a little a little cold beverage along with the recording tonight. Um, I was not aware of this. I could have got myself a whiskey bowl. How dare you, sir? Uh, well, it's late for you, and I, I don't want you to get intoxicated uh, before <laughs> going to bed and, and having to struggle through work. Um, this is true. Hi, listeners. How are you? I'm I'm doing well. Um, I'm Bo. Uh, one half of Duncan and Bo go to Twin Peaks. The other half is right here, Mr. Duncan McLeish. Hi, listeners. So <laughs> I like I kind of like this. It feels like it's more intimate. It does. It feels one would say maybe sensual. Oh, and we have some sexy episodes ahead of us. Um for those of you new to the show, um <laughs> quit while we are ahead. <laughs> right. You should leave now. Uh but Some you warning. What we are doing, the project we have undertaken, foolishly, some would say. <laughs> Very foolishly, I would say. Um, uh, um, man, you were taking a contentious <laughs> attitude right from the start here, Duncan. I'm not. That's what I do. It's good, good podcaster, bad podcaster. <laughs> you will no record Twin Peaks episode. Right, and I, I like I got to pull you off the listeners and like, look, look. He's just crazy when he gets like this. Look, listeners, just tell him what he wants to know. Yeah, tell me everything I want to know. Are you watching along with us? Because apparently some people are, and they're starting to get a bit preachy. Like, I didn't realize Twin Peaks was this bad in the second season. I'm here to say that it's not all bad. It's not all bad, ladies and gentlemen. Point of fact, I quite like the two episodes we're talking about tonight. I dare say I'll regret saying that after 17 hours of talking about them on this episode. But, but... As it stands just now, I'm in a fairly positive place, Bo. I'm looking forward to this one. I think, you know what I think? I think we have made the second season more interesting. It's crazy. We've tried to rein in the crazy, but I think all we've done is magnified the crazy, added more to the crazy, and now there's so much crazy, it's crazy. (laughs) Again, if only we weren't titling these episodes after the episodes of Twin Peaks we're covering... (laughs) You you would you would have sold me. That would have been a great <laughs> title for this episode. But um, instead, it's just you know more ramblings of a, a crazy Scott. Um, yes. <laughs> so, but if, if you're new to the episode, what I was going to say, or not the episode, everyone's new to this episode. Um, yeah. Like like unless you're uh, listening to it again, and then hi, welcome back. Hey, why hi. are you doing this? <laughs> hi, multiple listener. Uh, multiple Migs, we'll call you. Uh, I can smell your peaks. Um, yeah, tell me what did what did the listener say to you? Um, <laughs> I couldn't help but notice on the previous, maybe the previous episode, or the episode before, I mocked you for making. Um, I can't remember which character it was. Now I made you started to send very Anthony Hopkins with it. Yes. It was, yes, but then I suddenly realised that your Andy impression is basically a like the male version 
of of Clary Starling. <laughs> it really is when you listen to it. it yeah, it it is uh, kind of my own spin on Forrest Gump. A little <laughs> bit is where Andy comes from. Like if, if you want to pull back the curtains on how terrible accents are are done on this show, uh, look no further than the Oscar winning performance by Tom Hanks in in Forrest Gump. Yeah. Did he win an Oscar for that? I've, I've just made that up, but I feel like that's true. I, th- I think the movie won an Oscar. I don't think he won an Oscar. I, well, he because mm. I thought he won back to back Oscars for that in Philadelphia. I know he won Philadelphia. I don't know if he won Forrest Gump. And I'll just say on this podcast, not a fan of Forrest Gump or Tom of Hanks. Tom Hanks, really? Tom Hanks. Yeah, not even Mazes and Monsters. <laughs> see you're gonna try and no not really i i i i find i found them far more interesting in the 80s i felt in the 90s he got into this groove of you know i'm just gonna take oscar scripts really and that's all i'm right. gonna kind of run with um which he did that's when i found them very uninteresting and then i i don't know what's happening to him now he seems to be doing a combination of oscar scripts and really bad dan brown so yeah they are really bad uh i watched horrible (laughs) uh the legion one recently uh is that what it was Uh, called why (laughs) and um the the last one he did like inferno maybe inferno is the name of it yeah it's just shite yeah i mean it's just tawdry shite you know what's you know what the problem with those movies are? oh please tell me (laughs) what the problem with those movies are The, the the problem with those movies are the central character, the hero of it, has the most boring job in the world. And they try and make it exciting. It's not, his job is to explain history. Well, but so like, is Indiana Jones. Thing. Yes, but Indiana Jones had a whip, had a gun, was set in an interesting time period, um, and Indiana Jones did it with a bit more panache. Let's put it that way. Yeah, sure. Like, literally, literally, Robert Langdon's whole purpose is to lecture us throughout the entire movie in different scenery. (laughs) Let me tell you all about Rome here in Rome. Now let me tell you all about Washington here in Washington. He's like the world's worst fucking tour guide. He's like, he's like if Jessica Fletcher was a tour guide, because wherever he goes, people die. That's the problem. That's the problem with those films. I I think he is, for some reason, see when I get ranty, I get very Scottish. I just realised that when I started speaking, if anyone listens back to that rant, you will hear how Scottish my accent went. Like really, really Scottish. I just find them pish. Uh, wasn't Felicity I, Jones also in that Inferno movie? If memory serves, maybe. Yeah, because I don't think she's a very good actress. I don't think so either. I think you know what's really disturbing is I think Ron Howard is actually a good director. Oh, of course. So I don't know. I don't know why he keeps making them. I, yeah, <laughs> at I, all. I don't know. I, th- I think they do really well, like overseas or something. Maybe I, I, they I'm overseas don't. and I hated it. <laughs> I, I'm I'm saying financially. I don't mean spiritually. <laughs> I just I don't I don't I don't get it, and I I don't understand why Tom Hanks does it either because he doesn't even look like he's having fun doing them. You know what I mean? They could literally replace him with a bit of wood, and you know, and then record some like history comments in the background right oh, the but, vatican city was great and that would be the same fucking performance as wooden as shit I, yeah I, I don't know why we went and this rant about tom hanks but 
Well, yeah, you I'm not big. Forrest Gump. That's what. Was well, it. in fairness, uh, I did double check. Uh, he did win an Oscar for Forrest Gump. Why? I don't get that. Mama said the love was all like a monster tongue. Went fuck off. <laughs> you are you are literally pissing on America's sweetheart. <laughs> That's right. Drink my yellow piss. Um... Oh wow! All right, I, I like where all this is going. Um, <laughs> so what I was getting at earlier, listeners and multiple listeners i think that's where we we went <laughs> off the rails I, I what we need is for listeners of this program to uh diagram the points where we just careen off <laughs> into into the hilderlands <laughs> of of nonsense as opposed to actually talking about twin peaks or or uh the the subject of the podcast at hand um yeah. but what i was saying is if you're, if you're new to the podcast, it's where we started. 17 minutes into this, if you're new. All right. So what we do is we, we take a spoiler-free look at Twin Peaks. We are going episode by episode. We do not give away any more than we absolutely have to. So if you're wa- – like Twin Peaks is an old show, right? It's, you know, 27 years old at this point. Mm-hmm-ish. You know, like uh, Twin Peaks as a show could drink and rent a car. So <laughs> what we want to do is provide new viewers to the show with a bit of a companion piece, a way to look at the show, uh, a, a different take perhaps on the goings on uh, of the episodes, and also a literal shit ton of bad impressions. You, I'd like, I was about to say the first part of how you describe what we do gives us far too much credit. Yeah. Um, Literally, what we do is we talk about the scenes, but we replace the voices of the characters with ludicrous ones, um, and and make characters. We we all, you know what we do? We we find the flaws in the characters, and then we build their entire caricature of them around those small flaws. Right. Or unless it's, you're James, how fucking stupid you are. It's it's <laughs> like we're working the boardwalk at the beach, and we're drawing everybody with big bug teeth and roller skates. Yep. You like roller skates? That's, that's sure. Everybody the, likes roller skates. Yeah, this is that is essentially what these have been, and we have done it for many, many episodes. Um, I like to think that the last two episodes, in particular, have been probably some of the best we've ever recorded. And I think it's because we, because the episodes are not necessarily firing on all cylinders, and there's a lot of drivel in them. It has allowed us, Kurt Blanche, to to really go off the deep end and experiment with some alternative realities because that's kind of Twin Peaks is in that sort of weird vein of, you know, kind of alternative dimensions and, and you know, and stuff like that. I, I think what we've done is we've created our own one, which sits parallel to Twin Peaks. And yeah. I would argue that sometimes ours is more interesting than, than the actual episodes. So Our, Ours is a far better show uh, for certain episodes. Um, yes agreed agreed but um, and i think we're i think we're i think we're doing quite well i mean this episode's covering episode six and seven which means we are almost at the halfway mark of season two yeah so many episodes in season two so and many oh. the second half of uh this season we will just be covering the episodes by doing readings of the scripts in our stupid voices <laughs> Although, oh man, there is 
there is a wonderful James moment ahead of us tonight that uh, I, I probably like as I was watching the episode, I heard the joke I was going to make on this podcast about <laughs> it and started <laughs> laughing. The thing is, the thing that I, I like to think at this stage of the show is they've realized that James doesn't need to speak much. So as such, the dialogue is ramped right back. Oh, James is there sometimes. He's sometimes looking moody and broody. And I would like to say that since the previous recording, I did put up a side-by-side comparison of James and Derek Zoolander, and I stand by my statement. Yeah, I now think that Twin Peaks is the prequel to Zoolander. That's what he went on to do. Because in Zoolander, they say he comes from a small town. It's a coal mining town. I think they just changed that from lumber mill town um, and he, he is he's spitting them out I would be surprised if I would you have to think that Ben Stiller saw it, it you have to it really is eerie um all right before we jump into Twin Peaks though what we like to do around here is just check in uh with one another see what we've been watching and uh and and have an, a long-winded conversation about that too yeah, because um, these shows are not long enough. That's what the feedback I'm getting is, wait one second, your episode lasted longer than the two episodes that you talked about. Literally twice as long yeah. as both episodes combined, because Absolutely. that's the level of analysis we're bringing to the, to the table here. Um, yes. I would just like to take two seconds to congratulate you on the majesty that was the editing of the Hawk Celebration at the oh, end of you. the previous episode. It was like I, I stood at my desk, I saluted the flag, um, which wasn't there, but in my mind it was. Yeah. My colleagues at work looked at me as if I'd went crazy. They thought because I was clutching my chest I was having a heart attack. We had to call the we had to call the, the paramedics and tell them not to come to work because I was telling them I was listening to a podcast. They don't know what that is. No one watches Twin Peaks at my work. If I tried to explain it I'd end up in a funny farm boat. But yeah. What have you been watching? I, I wanted to uh to put the listeners at ease let them know i have finally seen uh rogue one a star wars story oh this is interesting what did you because you weren't a big fan of episode what was it episode seven fucking, seven the force yeah. uh the force awakens, awakens. so which... what did you think of the standalone rogue one i, I thought it was okay um, I'm in that boat as well. I, I didn't think it was as good as everyone else seemed to think it was. Yeah, I my problem. All right, so like I I feel like I get unfairly criticized, and and perhaps I I stoke the flames of this a bit myself that I'm not a fan of Star Wars, which is not the case. I I think there are two and a half incredible Star Wars films. Mm-hmm. Um, and like Star Wars is amazing. Empire is amazing. Jedi is really good. Could do with a little bit of editing. Um, mm-hmm. And then the prequels obviously are shit. Yes. And Force Awakens is way better than any of the prequel movies, but it's, I've said it before, it feels like a fan film from someone who loves Star Wars movies, which mm-hmm. is fine. I mean, it plays heavily on nostalgia. And I think uh, Rogue One does that to a fault as well. Um, I think cartoon Peter Cushing, uh, makes me sad. Yeah. It looks like, I don't get it. The the thing is you can hide that. See if it was a hologram, why those whole things that we know they use and he's not on the ship, you can hide that. 
Right. Like, why did you just pull an asset from Star Wars Rebels? Mm -hmm. like whole cloth into this movie it, like it doesn't look good the mouth doesn't work right he doesn't sound like peter cushing there's really no need for him to be in this movie yeah i, I kind of i like why he's in the movie like right, but he's dead sense. but yeah I, I know but i like why his character is in the movie i like the fact that it kind of expands out that character a bit more i i he is one of the more, and the fact that I am a horror fan and the fact that I love Peter Cushion, I, there is part of me that feels he is slightly underused, and um, and you hope, you know, I'm watching that thinking he could have a bigger oh, yeah, part sure. in that movie, um, and I kind of feel he doesn't get it. So I can kind of see them wanting to pay lip service to try and flesh that out. You can hide, you can use that character, you can hide him in a, a, a CGI hologram which doesn't, you know, which they do with fucking other characters in that, and it would look fine. There would be no issue. But you have him on screen, and it is visibly, a, it's a caricature. It's a cartoon yeah. character on screen, and it does not make any fucking sense to me. And what's even more frustrating about the whole thing is that me and you covered Westworld um, this year, last yeah. year, last year. Yep, Duncan and Bo go to Westworld was the predecessor, yep. some would say, to Duncan and Bo go to Twin Peaks. Right, so we, we covered Westworld, and in Westworld, they had clips of Anthony Hopkins as a young man, and that CGI was fucking flawless. Tell me how LucasArt, with with the, the disposable billions of Disney behind them, can't fucking get that face right. I don't understand it. And how did no one sitting there watch it say, do you think he looks a bit cartoonish? Yeah, I think he, maybe. I don't get it as, and it's, an, and people are like, oh, you're just nitpicking. You know, I'm not really. The first, the first half an hour of, my big problem with Rogue One is the first half an hour is a rush job from planet to planet to planet to planet. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I just feel so heavily rushed that I don't feel invested in anything. Well, um, that is my overarching problem with the movie was it never felt like it knew what it wanted to be. Uh -huh. And like the, the only character that I can point to, actually I take that back. There are two characters I would point to and say, those are three dimensional characters. Ironically, one is the robot. <laughs> uh, who I thought was, was actually like funny and charming and, and has a great uh, spoilers uh, has a great death scene. Yeah. He's uh, what George R. Banks should have been. Yeah. In fact, somebody, uh, Earlier today, I was having a conversation about this movie, and somebody said, like, what what Disney did or what, you know, the the new makers of the Star Wars movies have managed to do is put the humor back into Star Wars, which is great. Yes. And and the K2OP, whatever his name is, K2, I know, is uh, what they call him because I, I kept thinking, like, K2 the Widowmaker, uh, which is actually <laughs> K19, I think. But anyway, doesn't matter. Um, K2 is a mountain. Yeah, whatever. Yes. It, 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 fine. Dante's Peak. So the robot... <laughs> Technically the biggest mountain in the world, but we'll not get, we'll not get into that. Uh, so the robot, K-19, the Widowmaker, has like an, a legitimate story arc through, through yes. that film. Jen Urso is an interesting character because that is a character who begins at a place of pure survival and ultimately finds a reason to to fight, finds meaning in her existence, mm -hmm. uh, or at, at the very least a purpose. 
and every other character is just kind of there. Yeah. Um, there are moments, like, there are things about the movie that kind of tease me. It's it, like, oh, this is such a cock tease of a movie. Because, like, you see the Diego Luna character, whose name I can't recall. Um, at the beginning of the movie, he's meeting with somebody surreptitiously. Stormtroopers are being called over. So he's forced to kill this guy and escape. And there's the moment of, like, oh, he's doing this horrible stuff on behalf of, of the Rebellion, which is really interesting. And then he doesn't, like, none of that comes up again until the very end of the movie. And it's like, well, yeah. where was all that stuff that would have been interesting? Or the idea of the Rebellion as kind of a terrorist group. That's the bit that annoys me is the fact that we don't get enough of that for some reason that the, the, the rebellion, the quote unquote terrorist group, regardless how you look at them, if you're pro them or against them, are still a terrorist cell and they're still a bit squeaky clean for a terrorist cell. Yeah. You know, there's plenty of opportunities to to sink to the level of a rebellion in this movie that they don't quite take. Um, for some weird reason, for some moral high ground, which I I don't understand, because that's not what happens in war yeah. at all. That's the first thing that goes out the window in war. Um, and there and, there are little hints of that, but it just never it never sticks to it. Yeah, and and also the the main villain of the film, who is a yes. pretty good villain, up until the point where they just kind of shoot him and it's done. Like, it's such a non-event when, when he goes down. Yeah, what you need what you need in a movie like this is you need some sort of Sith or some sort of ultimate badass. That's what, you, that's what Star Wars needs. You can have a human person in the, in, in the place of it, but that human needs to, needs to be on some level, you know, impervious to something or needs to be invincible to an extent. Um... Or just and, needs and we, to be more than a bureaucrat, which is what the villain kind of is. Yeah, he's, he's so, and, but I like that idea as well. I like this this idea of someone trying to make a power play, because once again, that's realistic. That's what that's what humans do. That's you know, that's people. He's very self serving, and he thinks he's going to get all these accolades. And I love the fact that you know, Cushion fucks him over more than once. Um, I love the fact that he thinks he can go right to Vader. And, and and there's there's the biggest cocktease in this movie is is Vader. We see him, and as soon as I see him, I'm like, I'm like, oh right, right. This is this is this is Vader. This is Vader during his prime badass days. Give me some bit. And they wait. They make you fucking wait. The the only time you see a lightsaber in this movie is five minutes from the end, um, and they make you wait for it. And then they give you arguably one of the coolest scenes, like in Star Wars for twenty years. Um, they give you the and it's so vicious. Like, see, upon a repeat watch of this, there is Vader walks through that hall. He pins a guy on the ceiling when he's walking past him. He then swings his lightsaber behind him and cuts the guy in half. Like, it's like you know what I mean. He, 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 right. it's, it's so fucking. You're watching it, just going like, if you're a kid that's grown up watching, you know, Star Wars, you're just like, this is what I've been waiting for. Give me no! Don't end it there. No, no! It's because you know they're not making another one to fill that gap. That's that story done now. So yeah, if he had been the primary threat in the film, that would have been cool. Yes. Like that scene is really cool. It just doesn't belong in this movie. Exactly. Why is Vader not the primary threat in this yeah, movie? He's I, I don't chasing. Know. He's he's chasing the rebellion all over the place. Why is he not? Why have we sent some fucking two bit bureaucrat 
Mads Mikkels heavily underused. Oh, I think he's a phenomenal weird. actor. Why is he in this movie for like five minutes? What's the point? Yeah, well, I kept thinking of I, I was comparing as I was watching it last night to having recently seen Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, mm-hmm. which is a movie that is so thematically cohesive, almost to a fault, where it it is all about fatherhood. It's about Peter Quill not having a father. It's about Yondu being a surrogate father. It's about Nebula and Gamora having a terrible father. You know, all that stuff is kind of swirling around, and it and it comes together at the end. And when this movie began, I almost felt like I was watching a similar film because Jen Erso has the same issues. Like, her father was taken away from her, and he's now kind of a villain in the eyes of the, the galaxy. And... She has this surrogate father in Forrest Whitaker's character, who is pointless in the movie, as it turns out. But, like, halfway through the movie, it ceases to become a movie about her search for some kind of family that she's never had to a movie about, like, well, you know, the rebellion is hope, and that becomes the theme of it. To the the point, and including, the last line of the movie is about hope. And... It just feels like it was written by two people, which it turns out it was, and and that none of none of the elements of the script really work together in a way that feels natural. Mm. And and there like I, I we're doing nothing but criticizing it. There are some really there's cool a lot moments. of light to it. Yeah, sure. there's a lot of light. I mean, I saw it in the cinema. This is the perfect movie to go and see in the cinema. It's got all that you know, it's big musical scores. It's so it's huge looking it's very pretty it's a good looking movie what what they're good at doing with star wars since since they brought it back is they're really good at building worlds like every planet you're on feels like its own unique planet you actually feel like you're there um which i think is great i thought some of the casting choices were really good um, I'm with you. I think Forrest Whitaker. I don't know why he's in it, but it's cool seeing him as that character. I would have loved more of him. You know what I mean? Why? Why? Why does? And I know there's there's talks of him appearing in some sort of spinoff somewhere. Um, that's interesting because to me he died. But and I I loved um I forget the actor's name. Donnie Yen. Yeah, uh, cool character. Wish I knew anything about him. Although I do like the fact yeah. that this is clearly the first gay couple in Star Wars canon. Oh yeah, yeah. I, 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 but I, I'm the same as you. I, we get introduced to all these characters, and we we can't really attach ourselves to them because we don't really have the hook. Um, and then they and then they die, and ultimately, what you're left thinking is. I really wish I'd known more about that guy, or I really wish I'd had more of that character in it. Um, I mean, it, it, it's it's not the feel good movie of the year. It certainly finishes in a bleak note, but with that slight tinge of hope because you know where it's going. Um, yeah. So it's not. I mean, it's not a. It's just not a great movie. I think that's. Yeah. I think that's the problem. I think. I think. I think fan standards were low lowered so much with those prequels that it is it is easy to get swept up with the this is the new Star Wars stuff and look we're getting our characters back and yeah this is brilliant and I'm totally down with that um, and as a fan of Star Wars and I am a fan of Star Wars even though the ratio of what I really like to what I dislike is favoured in the, 
dislike category. Um, I still thought there was a lot of it that that was pretty cool, and they basically formulated this story. This whole story came out of a kind of throwaway comment, and you know, a new hope where they're like that. You know, many many uh, people died to bring this. You know that that's. Uh, the fact that they managed to build a whole story at that was really cool, and I love the fact that they did go as dark as they did with it. I just felt the whole first half an hour was was so rushed and so muddled that by the time I caught up with what the film was trying to do, um, and then by the time we land on the planet for the and you know the siege at the end, it feels like we've spent so much time getting to the planet. That the stuff on, I would almost r- much rather that you know, the movie was swayed you know twenty minutes to the, you know the all the stuff leading them to the planet and the rest of the movie was the planets each. Yeah, and like have the, the I mean? characters kind of emerge through the battle and understand yeah. where they where they came from, why they're there, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, I th- yeah. I I totally agree. I think that would be a a much a much more a much more interesting movie and also it would lean into the idea of this as a war film and that's yeah, and which that's, is what they're trying to do which right. is really what they're trying to do in this movie is as the essentially this is even though it's not officially out yet it doesn't come out for another couple of months this is dunkirk you know what i mean this is the this is the the, the allies landing on the banks of france to for their last you know the last ditch assault on the nazis um, to push them back. That's essentially what they're trying to do here. Um, and there are plenty of scenes of battles on beaches here. So, you know, I mean, that's kind of what they're trying to do. Yeah. And I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate the fact that they they do, like, there are characters that are dying in this. I'm like, and the thing is, you know they're going to die because it tells you the new hope that the characters die to get the information out. So that's no surprise to me. But there was times that when certain characters died, I thought, you know, that that's quite bold that they've done that and the way they've done it and we've seen it. Um, and they've, they've let us see characters die. For a Disney Star Wars movie, that's, you know, that's, that's a big move. But I felt overall there were, there were some there were some issues, particularly in the way the story's told. Um, and they also and... stole the ending on the beach from uh, the Taya Leone scene from Deep Impact. Oh, of course it did. I mean, as if you're going to as... steal, steal from the best, is what I say. Yeah, yeah, oh, definitely. But what, I, what I, my, my, it wasn't as, let's put it this way. Disney are still trying to feel out what they're doing with us. They've got this huge franchise potential on them and all these spin-offs they're trying to do and they are feeling their way out and the way I liken it is when when they're started like the, the influx of the kind of once again going back to superhero movies but when superhero movies started coming back for the first time some of them were good a lot of them were shit and then they found their groove and when they found their groove and they knew what they were giving to the audience even though I don't personally like it um they got into a rhythm of this is how you do these stories and this is how you put them out. We're two movies in now. The first movie really is, like you say, it's a, it's a love letter to fans of um, A New Hope. It pretty much follows the beats of A New Hope. Um, and as such, when you're watching it, it there's something um, recognisable about it. There's something familiar. So you, you relax. There's no Jar Jar Binks. Everything is good. You know what I mean? You start to get in, in into the into the, the groove. But it's still not a great movie. 
It's a good movie, it's not a great movie. Rogue One's our first attempt to try and spin off a story which doesn't really involve Jedis, doesn't really involve you know, Luke Skywalker, any of the Skywalker family. It doesn't involve that side of things. It's the standalone story. So they're trying to develop it in that way. And it's not amazing. It's not terrible either. It's a good popcorn movie. What I feel is that they will eventually find their groove and where they might find it is the the Han Solo spin-off. Oh, I hope you're right. I, I have such I think, high hopes for I that. I think movie. they can. I think they really, really can. I think there's a character that we are very familiar with who we can really go on. It could very it could be Indiana Jones in space. That's that's how I think it will be. I think that's that's how you that's how you do that movie. This guy is a you know, swashbuckling adventurer yeah. in space who's, you know, flying by the seat of his pants, total anti-hero. That's how you do that movie. If, if they do that movie, brilliant. If, That's what I want to see. If that Han Solo movie isn't a heist movie, they fucked up. Oh, definitely. They have to They have to be doing something. They have to, at some point, have the... the, the and it escapes me and my fan culture. The Kessel Run? Them. Yeah, they, that has to be in the movie. Yeah has to be in the movie and, and losing the, the, or like uh lando calrissian losing the the millennium falcon to han solo is going to be in there the kessel run is going to be in there yeah we're going to get all these things but you're right it has to has to end up with them doing some sort of smuggling heist has to be because if you don't do that you've not understood the character yeah that's who the character is the character you know looks so to speak into his involvement with Luke and all the rest. But before that, you know, he's maybe he's maybe a lovable rogue, but he's not a nice guy. You know what I mean? He's Yeah, I mean he shot first. Exactly. Come on, that's peeps. just what I was gonna say. It's you know, it, it's a cliche at this point, but in the original Star Wars, that character was conceived as a straight up murderer, not without reason. It was mm-hmm. he was he was shooting Greedo, so he didn't get shot himself. But eh, you know he's not—he's not a like we don't engage with the enemy until they begin firing. He's like, well, exactly. here's a problem. Let's deal with it. So, um, and that's how you do that movie. And I—I hope—I hope the fact that they—they they seem to be understanding the kind of fan elements of it. I—I I hope that they understand that that's. And I, I've got to think they must. Um, and. And that's where I think I think that's a turning point. I don't even think it's this next Star Wars movie that's coming out this oh, year. Yeah, I don't I'll... think that's even the next turning point. I think the next turning point for them is Han Solo movie comes out and then they realise that they really can just start expanding out from that main story, which only has another movie after it, and then that's technically the other trilogy done. They need to find they need to start finding ways to expand the universe out. And there's plenty of room and plenty of characters to do it. Yeah. Although that next movie is a Ryan Johnson joint, and I like his yes. uh, movies quite a bit. So I love I'm... his movies. I love his movies. So I'm there. I'll be there for all of them. That's the thing. They 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 got me when I was a kid. So I will sit through them all. Um, but that doesn't mean that I have to like them all. And I'm honest yeah. with that. I, I know sometimes people overlook things because, you know, it's just great to see a Star Wars movie. And, I, I you know, I, I agree. It's great to see the things that you really want to see on screen. But it doesn't mean that I check my critical eye at the door. I still go in and view it as a movie. And if there's flaws in there, I'll point them out. Yeah. So, um, All right. So enough about Star Wars. Um this isn't Duncan and Bo go to Tatooine, for God's sakes. I, I will say this. My thing that I'll mention very, very, very quickly 
is I have started watching American Gods on Amazon. Yeah, how was that? Really fucking good. Like, yeah. really, really, really good. Ian McShane. I, I, I could now be of the opinion that Ian McShane might be one of the best actors fucking the planet. I mean, I always liked him. Sure. But I, there's something about the age that he's at just now where... He, he's, he's got a niche, he's got a groove and he's probably the best in that groove out of any of the actors walking the planet and he's he's really fucking good, he's really really good It's quite. An, I've never read the book, never read the Neil Gaiman book, uh, don't, didn't know anything about the content of it I now know because I know what the show's going to be about um, so I kind of know where we're going with it um, and it has a very graphic novel adaptation feel to it so there are are, there is a kind of almost like a Sin City vibe kind of bubbling underneath it. Um, but two episodes in it, I kind of love it. So, yeah, that one, that one's real fucking good. Real, real good. I can't wait to get more of that. But unfortunately, I'm relegated to one a week. So Yeah, I that that's definitely a show that I've been looking to check out and, and your, your recommendation. Um, listeners might not believe this, considering the things <laughs> I've said to you over time. But yeah, I you know I value your opinion somewhat. Um, I, but the good thing about it is this is you're a cheeky bastard. I know. Um, I like putting the conditional on there. Yeah, yeah, that was that was very nice. Thanks, Bo. Um, it's it's Brian Fuller that's behind <laughs> it. So Brian Fuller's the showrunner for it, and he is of Hannibal fame. Yeah, so this well, is the show yeah. that he did when Hannibal went off the air. So there is a visual aesthetic, and there is a. I, the visual aspect actually is fucking incredible. Um, so yeah, that guy's real fucking good. We which should... kind of makes me excited about the the new Star Trek stuff he's doing as well, because I'm a bit of a Trekkie, and that's his world where he came from. And the fact he's going back to it now is this big hot shot. I can't, I can't, can't we, wait. We should do Hannibal sometime. As a show. I would love to do Hannibal, but it would literally be the end of me masturbating furiously for fucking three hours every show yeah i love hannibal i think hannibal legitimately is one of the greatest tv shows ever made by hands down i, I don't think there's any, there's nothing like hannibal at all and hannibal doesn't exist without twin peaks which is funny because we're here to talk about twin peaks but all right uh did you want to mention anything i didn't want to i know we just went off on a tear about star wars but um i don't want to i don't, I don't want to give you short shrift here <laughs> um, um i have not watched anything new per se i think American Gods I've started um, and I've got a couple of things that I'm wanting to watch but I haven't I've been so busy with podcasts under the stair stuff at the moment, I'll tell you what in fact tell you what I'll do right now, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, watched it for the first time in about 3-4 years Okay. and yeah I stand by my statement, it's in my top 5 horror movies of all time, it's fucking incredible it's yeah. how that movie holds up as well as it does for. 40 plus years is is insane to me. It is it is it is the encapsulation of a psychotic nightmare cotton film. Uh, mind mind blowing. Like actually watching it back, like once again realizing how how little blood there is um, in that movie and how much your mind works fucking overtime. Thinking you're seeing things that you don't see in that movie is. And then it, it bums me out because I know that Toby Hooper never even got close to another movie that even was like remotely close to that movie or oh, even in the same breath. N- never, never. 
and that was the first movie, put, first proper movie he put out. So that's his peak there, and then everything else is. I thought you were stopped. talking about the Marcus Nispel film. I will slap you in the face. <laughs> I hate that movie. Well, I don't hate that. It's just not a great movie. It's it's um, really bad. Has a lot of flaws. Um, but yeah, so watching that original, just I also get, come to the conclusion: is Toby Hooper a better science fiction director than he is a horror director? No, I think he. Uh, I think he's a better science fiction director. Get, right. I think he's had. I think he's landed better with science fiction overall in the long run. If you were doing aggregates, than he has with um, with horror. I think he's he's only done maybe about two, maybe three good horror movies, and I think he's done more in the realms of science fiction, which is fair. Because I don't think for was I'm I'm working on the premise he did not direct um, Poltergeist. Poltergeist. Yeah. he didn't do it. He didn't. Like, let's be honest, he did not do that movie. Which means, um, so I assume you watched The Dark then. Who did me? Yeah. No. Oh, uh, you need to watch The Dark. Listen, he, he did Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He did Salem's Lot. Right? Uh-huh. He did... Yeah, they're really the only two horror movies that I, I think are really good. I'm taking Poltergeist out of the equation. I think Mortuary's um, pretty good. I think it's okay. I don't think it's great, though. Um, He did, what do you call it? The, the, oh, what's that horrible one? Life Force? No, the, the like, see, Life Force to Life, yeah, the the Toolbox. Fuck that movie. Toolbox <laughs> Murders is an awful fucking movie. Um, he did the what do you call it? the the uh, the the Mangler. Yeah, that's that's pretty bad. Fucking horrible movie, right? So in the science fiction category, I would put Life Force. Life Force to me, even though it has like the vampire and all this, is more it's more fantastical and science fiction. So I would say. Life Force, I would say um, Invaders from Mars is more science fiction than it is horror. Um, and then I started realising how many science fiction TV shows that he did the pilots of. He did the pilot for Dark Skies, which um, was a series that came out in the mid-90s, which I really liked. It tried to capitalise on the whole X-Files thing. Didn't get very far. Also did the first episode of the Steven uh, Spielberg miniseries Taken which I fucking love and is woefully underseen. It came out early 2000s. Um, and, you know, he's he done a lot of science fiction TV. Um, and I think he's more consistent in that medium than he is with horror. Because I think in horror, he's always, it's always kind of leaning back on that. He did Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I think he tries to... I actually just think he didn't give a fuck once he made that movie. He obviously got a reputation, did a lot of cocaine, and that was it. Um, but watching that original Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a flawless movie, um, which is incredible. It really, really is. I, I, my love for that movie, watching it this time around, is it knows no bounds. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I'll talk about. All right. Episode. Well, you, you heard it here first, folks. Marcus Nispel, genius horror. <laughs> no, uh, you, you heard it here. You heard it here first. Uh, Toby Hooper's Texas Chainsaw Massacre, really good horror film. Right. Right, so that's right. Shattering the walls down. Breaking news. So I do here. <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre, pretty good. Pretty good film. Who yeah. would have thought it? All right, Duncan, let, let's quit screwing around. And uh, speaking of cock teases, let's stop teasing Ooh. the cocks of our listeners. 
Mm, um, but they love it so much, Bo. Yeah. Well, sure they do. But every now and again, you gotta you gotta stop teasing and just take the plunge. Well, uh, let's take the let's take the plunge then. What's the name of this episode, Bo? This episode uh, is entitled "Demons." Um, oh, goody! Yeah, it's scary. This <laughs> is uh, written by Harley Payton and Robert Ingalls, uh, who last showed up on. Uh, our our list o episodes back on uh laura's secret diary yeah um it is directed by leslie linka gladder uh who was the uh director of the man behind the glass when we uh first met uh harold smith agent smith agent smith that's right and and in uh in to keep with that theme, we are actually beginning uh, just where we left on uh, the last episode in which uh, Donna and Maddie, who have come up with a really terrible plan uh, based on Donna's real shit map. Uh, to, real shit. Wow. <laughs> it, it's real bad. So the idea was that she was going to distract Harold Smith, Agent Smith, and uh, Maddie was going to bust in, steal the secret diary of Laura Palmer, and then take off. Uh, but what happens is Harold catches Maddie, who is, through no fault of her own, I would argue, um, trying to figure out how the hell this bookshelf works because Donna never told her, apparently. Never told her, even though she saw it. Yeah. So uh, Harold has cornered them with uh, a tri ceratops no a yes a fork a triforkatops i try triforkatops and and i almost i try triforkatops <laughs> this is going bad um, yeah and then a, a, a recreation or or one would say actually preempting face off the the fantastic john woo movie <laughs> and I face that was like, off yes but, he, he starts clawing at his face with us, um, and then and then tells him that he's going to tell them a little secret, Bo. Um, and that secret uh, was going to be how they were going to die. And we jump back into that scene, and he's kind of covering his face like the Phantom of the Opera. Look what you made me do. Look what you made me do. And they're like, what the fuck is going on here? And this guy's gone full wackadoo, hasn't he, really? I think that's the medical term, wackadoo. Yeah, uh, that is uh, that is science. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he's like, you know, I thought I could trust you, Donna. And <laughs> and uh, she's like, no, uh, we were just we just wanted to read it. And he's like, but you lied to me, Donna. And who's your soon to be dead friend? And then he uh, my favorite part of this is that he says, you're unclean, a virus. Uh, well, he doesn't call him a virus, <laughs> but he does call him one queen. And he's like, you I can and... smell your, your sweat on my... It's, it's everywhere. It's... Because that's who he is. He's Agent Smith. Yeah, well, naturally. Um, and to the rescue uh, oh, comes James, who, you know, busts in and is like, you're not Laura! And uh, <laughs> Harold is... <laughs> Harold's like... Who is this? He seems dumb. And James pulls uh, Maddie and Donna out of the house, but Harold holds on to the journal. 
Yeah, he's Ian Lynn Nagel. And this is, uh, we need to ask some questions here. To raise some questions here. Why is James there? And I've come to the conclusion it's because James is creepily stalking them. Well, yeah, he follows Maddie out of the double R. Yeah, but I kind of thought maybe maybe he went out there, but maybe he didn't follow follower. But no, he did. He Even after being told, stay away from me, we need space, I don't want you near me, creepy, creepy James. James still followed her. And then waited considerable time outside the house while she was in there, because he was right behind her. She was in that house for a wee bit of time until he eventually heard the screams. Instead of thinking, wait one second, this isn't where Maddie lives. Maddie's broken into that house. He waits time, and then he busts in the door. Well, because he forgot why he was there. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, with the fact that you're not Laura. Right, he shows up, and he's like, wait a second, this isn't Laura's house. What am I doing here? And... Why has I, it become Lutheran? I, you know, I was saying just the other day that my James is, <laughs> is slowly evolving into Lutheran now. Uh, I don't know what I'm doing here. Uh, but all the love in the world to Lutheran now. The, the man is just up. a sweetheart. And my impression of him should not reflect ill on him at all. Um, but sometimes he can't hit so good. Uh, is the only problem. But anyway, so... <laughs> oh, there's a bit of casting that should have happened for Twin Peaks. Lou, Lou Ferrigno as James. As yeah. James Hurley. Um, yeah. All right, well, I'm, I'm down I'm with it. I'm fairly sure that I'm fairly sure that the the end sequence of the Hulk TV show of him walking up that hill is on a hill outside Twin Peaks. Right, he just he wanders in. By the way, my name is Dale James Hurley. <laughs> Uh, I don't want you all to know I'm very happy to be here. I, I hope you like my motorcycle. And <laughs> and they're like, you seem a little smarter, James. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so James pulls him out of there. Agent Smith holds on to the book for dear life. Um, and we're all thinking, I hope we get to the bottom of what's going on with Agent Smith soon. I look forward to seeing him again and hearing him converse. Yeah, the the last shot that we see of Agent Smith in this scene, and in fairness, on this mortal coil, uh, is him spraying madly spraying his orchids and and flowers. And he's like, yeah. I I have to water them. I'm very upset. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, so James shows up and he's like, you know, I I saved you. I saved you all, and. <laughs> You know, Don's like, you know what? In this case, you actually did. Thank you, James. And so we can leave them alone for a little bit because it is time to uh, to go to our heroes, the real heroes of this show. And that is uh, Agent Cooper uh, and his crack team of, uh, of of Bookhouse Boys. They're Sheriff Truman and, of course, uh, Deputy Hawk. And so, basically, Audrey has been taken back to the Great Northern. She's still on the clean burning propane. <laughs> so she's a little whacked out. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, she's safe. We, we, have, we have, you know, finally rescued Audrey, uh, mm-hmm. which is a leftover from way back in season one. It's just now, you know, season two, episode six, that we actually have 
Audrey back in Twin Peaks proper. She's been in Canada doing whorehouse stuff. Uh, doing the whorehouse stuff. And for, for a quick refresher for those that, that have forgotten, um, basically Agent Cooper and um, Chef Truman arrived, took care of some business. Um, they observed uh, Blackie being shot. So Blackie is now gone. Rest in peace, Blackie. Um, and basically they were cornered and it looked like they were going to be trapped and then the mighty hawk <laughs> swooped down with his blade of steel um, and plunged it into the back of um, the bodyguard with the gun and they all escaped um, and made their way back here so she is she is unfortunately hooked on hooked on heroin uh, which she's coming off of at the moment, but she is still kind of under the influence, and she is muttering in her sleep. There's a lot of mummy and daddy in what she's saying. A lot of mummy and daddy. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Agent Cooper, as always, doing the right thing, taking care of Audrey. Mm-hmm. And so we, we cut away from that to go back for some ungodly reason to James and Donna, who are standing outside of Harold Smith's house, still have not left yet. Well, he's, he's agoraphobic, so they're, they're not in fear of anything. He's not coming out the door. <laughs> well, true, but you're also... They should, have just went, they should have just literally went up to his door entrance and went, nah, 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 you're not going to get us. But in fairness, they committed a crime. Well, I'm, hey, Bo, I am not saying that them walking poor Mr. Smith is acceptable. I'm just saying they could have done it. Yeah, but I'm, I mean... I'm with Harold Smith on this one. I mean, why you know, would you not be? The man is clearly, clearly lonely. He's got some mental health issues. He's got phobias, which are, you know, out of control. And all he wanted was a friend, Bo. All he wanted was a friend to read a dead girl's diary with. What's wrong with that? Yeah. That, to, it's what I call a Wednesday night, Bo. <laughs> to copy down her stories, to dictate her life uh, yeah. in a completely non-weird way. Um, non-weird what are my flowers? Yeah. Non-weird. Yeah, how'd you like to water my flowers? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, all right. So, But the, the point of this stupid scene that we are now engaged in is that uh, Maddie takes off. She's going to go back to the Palmers and, you know, wash the stink of her failure off, I suppose. Um, yeah. You know, God bless her. It was Donna's fault. It was Donna's fault. Donna is, like, fucking useless. Yeah, I mean, Donna, you are the smart one of this trio. Like, Mm -hmm. Maddie wears glasses, but you're the one who's been on Ground Zero ever since Laura's death and and have been also in the home of one Agent Smith. You should have been the one to say, here's exactly how you... (laughs) How how you you know get the the false books out? Here's where the journal is. All that stuff. Donna fucked up. She didn't do any of that. So yeah. uh, she almost killed them both. If it hadn't been for James thinking that he saw Laura through the window, that's you know. exactly what it was. He forgot once again that Maddie is not Laura. Laura. So. That looks like Duckhead Laura, and just ran in and then saw somebody with a you know triforca tops in his hand and. James was like, "Tops is the greatest thing that has ever happened." <laughs> and oh, I, I, I don't remember what it's really called. 
Um, I don't care. Triforkatops is what it's known as now. If we were to do a a series of children's books about dinosaur silverware, Triforkatops would be our hero, probably. Why have we not patented it? Get on the fucking internet and patent it. I keep saying this. This show is an idea machine. Our listeners are going to be filthy rich, and all we can hope to do is uh, get some of that sweet, sweet black Yukon sucker punch ad money off of them. <laughs> yeah, we, we, yeah. I'll listen back to that. We have issues, but we need yeah, to resolve yeah. them. <laughs> issues, are... issues, issues involving anal insertion that I think is maybe slightly worrying. Just slightly. I'm sitting on a D battery right now. I don't know about you. <laughs> I like the girth. Um, girth. So, but anyway, so James and Donna are left outside Agent Smith's house, and James gives this soliloquy that is just the dumbest shit you ever heard. Oh, it's pesh. Yeah, it's just, we should have two hearts, but the two hearts are one heart, and you and I, two hearts, Donna. And she's like, eh, whatever you're saying, I agree with just t- to get you to stop talking about this. Mm-hmm. And then he kisses her neck. And, and I assume that because she's high on ado- endorphins after almost losing her life, she's like, oh, okay, well, this is pretty nice. And my theory is that James just has a big dick. Maybe. Maybe. I, 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 she does. Well, the thing is, she does legitimately. The only reason she went back to agent smith's house was because she genuinely thought that he was falling for maddie so maybe this was donna's super plan was to put maddie in peril well her in peril and see if he would one rescue them both and two to see who he would spend time with afterwards and it was a gamble and it paid off for donna yeah i mean i don't know it, it, it's it, it's a bad plan because the end result is so horrible yeah, the end result is you, you now have to spend time with James. And let's be honest with you, I'd much rather be on the receiving end of a triforkatop scratch to the face than I would to, you know, repeated scratching than I would be to spend two seconds in the company of James, who you literally feel you're losing brain cells to while talking. It's it's kind of surprising that as soon as he was like, I, with two hearts, not Laura, but two hearts, that she wasn't like, you know what, I'm going to go back inside. Yeah, I'm just going to go back in there and console the, console the crazy man with the flowers. You know what I mean? Right, right. At least Agent Smith had, you know, goals. Um, yeah. Even if they were just murdering me. Um, yeah, we, we do actually, now that I think about it, we do get quite a bit of James in the first half of this episode. It, it, it's the next episode that has my... Oh, my God. It's one I of my favorite I can't wait. Oh, it's going to be amazing. Ones. It's going to be amazing. I, I, I actually can't wait because you've told me you formulate the joke while you watched it so i am i am i am super excited but yeah we, we unfortunately have to spend a bit of time with this fucking non-story at the moment because yeah. um, all we need to know is what's in the fucking diary right like the diary is the important thing i don't care who gets it and i certainly don't give a shit about james and donna getting back together because i think donna can do better and I and by better oh, I mean any rock she happens to pass along the road. Um, but all right, so let's leave them there because uh, enough. Um, so we go to a meeting between Agent Cooper and uh, Sheriff Truman, where Agent Cooper announces 
that uh, Audrey is all dosed up with a clean burning propane and <laughs> a lethal dose, Harry. Um, or an almost lethal dose. And Harry says, uh, hey, I've been thinking about that guy we saw shoot Blackie. And I found him. His name is Jean Renault. He's Jacques Renault's brother. He's mixed up in into all kinds of nefarious doings. And uh, Agent Cooper is like, you know what? All of this is kind of my fault. I, you know, I've been going across the border out of my jurisdiction. I got Audrey almost hurt. And kind of the end result of all this is just Sheriff Truman saying, you know what? You think too much. Yeah, he said you're the greatest or uh, the finest law enforcement person I've ever met, but <clears throat> you think too much, and we're we're all at that. Yes, we know this, we know this, but that's why we like Agent Cooper because he's constantly thinking too much. Right, he he's super sleuth, Agent Cooper. Yeah. So following this, Agent Cooper, uh, still in the Great Northern, goes to uh, meet Ben Horn. And takes him back his briefcase of money and was like, hey, we got Audrey out of there. We didn't have to trade money for it. And by the way, um, while we were up there, we ran into a guy named Jean Renault. Do you know who that is? And he's like, oh, I have no idea. I'm, I'm Ben Horn. Why would I know that? I'm a legitimate <laughs> Would <businessman."> I lie? <laughs> would I lie? Of course it's me. I guarantee it. Why, why is he Boris Karloff? I don't know. That's the dude from when we spoke about this before at Spaceballs. Spaceballs, where, when they're on the, the, the planet, the sand planet, and uh, Dark Helmet pretends to be the king. Oh, he yeah. yeah. She's, like, she's like, Daddy, is that you? And he's like, Of course it is. I guarantee it. Would I lie? And his eyes are rolling in his head. And he's saying it. It's very, very funny, Bo. You just, you just clearly clearly do not find the humor and i didn't explain it that's my fault really i'm i'm a laughing on the inside clown really um <laughs> i hate clowns um no. that's, a, that's a quick change joke and that's gold um, that's a bad joke boo that man boo um but so ben find like he gets his money back and he seems to be pretty pleased about that and it's only after that that he's like hey uh can i see uh what's her name audrey should i yeah check her out and uh agent cooper's like she's resting how about you lay off also there's something fishy about you ben horn um and then ben horn and agent cooper exchange in the most awkward hug that has ever been yeah, it's amazing it's amazing because he's like yeah i'm gonna hug you like i usually hug leland you're not leland i must stop <laughs> you're not you're not leland um, <laughs> but they move in together and for a second there they're both like yeah you've almost slept with my daughter and i almost un subconsciously slept with my way you're not touching which gets addressed it's like time later. cop yeah. the two of them can't occupy the same matter in the same space at the same time it's yeah it like ben horn kind of gets it gets it in the end in again enough yeah. with the anal jokes but yeah, he, he's, he's like Ben Horn, like he's a he's a dick, right? Because like essentially, you're right. When he gets that case, he's too busy counting the money before he actually starts asking questions about his daughter. When it's mentioned about um, one eye jacks and, and what had went down, he's then concerned that Blackie's been taken in alive, and she might start speaking. To which he's then told, "Oh, by the way, Blackie's dead." And it's like, phew, and then he finds it that he's 
his weird kind of quote unquote business partner um is the one that killed her and he's the one that's went rogue and he's like all right and then at the end of all this he finally asks if he can go and see audrey so it's the the, the last thing on his mind um and coop knows that and coop's like you're a creep i don't want you anywhere fucking near her um and then they almost share a hug and it's i mean the, the thing about this one i, I think that the issue is that some of this episode meanders a bit because the payoff to a lot of what's been set up in this episode is paid off in the next episode, and this is certainly one of them. Yeah. Um, all right, so uh, let, let's uh, fuck all from them for now and mm-hmm. head over to the Johnson household because who couldn't, who could possibly want to know what's going on with the murder investigation of Laura Palmer and the yep. rescue of Audrey? When we have important Bobby Briggs slash Shelly Johnson business to attend to. Yeah, it just brings like, so this is this is Leo coming home to the, the house that's all been done up because they are going to live together, basically fuck in front of them and make $5,000 a month off it. Well, at may, least that's what they think. May I interject a personal note here? Please do. Uh the the wheelchair slash just chair with wheels it's not yeah. really a wheelchair it's like it looks like something my grandma made uh to the point that we had a rocking chair uh in our basement that had the same lattice work on the back as the wheelchair that um leo johnson is in mm-hmm. and the whole time i'm I'm looking at him like did they just make a wheelchair and i think they did <laughs> possibly either that or the, the the actual wheelchair that we know the modern wheelchair hasn't made its way to peak yet possibly so it is a quaint tale. and they're still using the old they're still using the old one and yeah so <laughs> feel like tuberculosis wheelchairs that were like yeah the, we the gave these to the indians nine. to kill them get me the session nine wheelchair um oh. so yeah i, know, I wish I know. session i i wish that sanitarium was in uh is it sanitarium or sanatorium what's the one you recover from tuberculosis in because it's different right i don't know i know what you mean i know i think it's sanatorium is the one where you go if you got the polio Mm -hmm. which you know everybody gets a little polio every now and again yeah i love polio mints polio mints it's polo mints. Do you have polo mints? No, that joke doesn't work in America. Oh, at all. that's for my UK peeps. Yeah. What? 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 Oh, one of these. Uh, that was a polo mint joke. That's amazing. Uh, I do like polio mint far- funkadelic. Polio mint funkadelic uh-huh. sounds like the greatest seventies <laughs> funk slash prog rock metal band of all time. Yeah, the um, their big hit, tear the withered legs off the sucker. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Uh, I I love that one, which was um, the follow up to Elvis's "A Straight Up Wizard of the Ocean," um, <laughs> which is one of my favorite songs of all time. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> all right, what's going? Oh, uh, Shelley and Leo and Bobby. Uh, so-, uh, so yeah, Bobby wheels them in, but wheels them into everything. He's smoking a cigarette. The most uncaring person bumping Leo into doors, bumping him in the cabinets, swinging him out of the place. But he's high on life and high on that sweet, sweet green that they're about to get when that check clears, Bob, because that check's worth five grand. Yeah, and their insurance guy is there in a totally insurance guy jacket. 
Yeah. One of those plaid, like, uh, Herb Tarlick uh, WKRP jackets. Yep. Is that, was that slam? Uh, anyway. Um, I, like, I'm making references tonight that even I don't get. You're, uh, like, confusing yourself. What are you I, doing? I, you know, it's the booze. Rain it back, Ransdo. Oh! Uh, so, <laughs> that was me writing it back. That was the sound. Uh, so, uh, the insurance guy is there, and he's like, you know, it's so great that you're staying home to take care of poor Leo. And, by the way, here's your check for $70. Yeah. Which, what they learn uh, is that after taxes after equipment costs and all the other stuff that goes along with you know having an invalid leo in your home i uh, believe in the industry they call that deductibles bro um i don't have insurance duncan i'm an american uh i believe that if something is going to happen to me that is god's will yes and uh i also pray the disease away well, I, I think if you read the good book, you'll find out that Jesus didn't have any insurance. So it's good enough for the Savior, it's good enough for yourself. Exactly. I mean, so what? I don't have a left leg anymore. That's you just how the cookie leg. and or diabetes crumbles. You're now a pirate. <laughs> oh, I, you know, there's part of me that really wishes I had a peg leg. Um, <laughs> I don't know what I would do with it. But then again, what am I doing with the legs I got now? So why not? <laughs> As far as I'm concerned, that's a lateral move. Your nickname would be Peg Leg Bo, which means that basically, which is like the great, it sounds like a kid's nursery rhyme. Um, uh, Peg I, Leg Bo, where did he go? Uh, I'm, I love this more. I'm Keep going, because I'm just going to cut my leg off at the knee. Um, <laughs> this will be history in the making, podcast listeners. <laughs> the last episode with two-legged bow as two-legged bow <laughs> as he was known on the prairies um <laughs> not sure what that means so, so yeah so they're like 70 pound uh, 70 dollars sorry because i'm in america and not in britain yeah right um, that would be like 50 pounds uh oh, who knows i think my economy's fucked and yours is about to join it um, so <laughs> if it hasn't already it will be soon um, rays of sunshine listeners that's what you get on this show that's what you get the positivity from start to finish um, yeah so Ed, he explains everything and then he kind of does his little bow but you're glad you're staying at home <laughs> yoink out the door disappears and they're like shit supposed to be five grand and then Shelly's obviously like well the plan was that I would you know I would quit work, you know, and would be able to afford me quitting work. I, you know, I need to quit work now, but I can't. And then Bobby does the most asshole thing he can do, which is like, see, when you say we, what what do we mean when we say we? What are we going to do? Because I've not been to school in a while. Well, uh, and, but know, that's I a... tell my dad I'm staying at Mike's. And what, what was this we? But that's a great reminder that Bobby is in fucking high school. And is not... So is fucking James and Donna. No one goes to school in Twin Peaks anymore <laughs> since Laura died. <laughs> right. They just shut down the school so everybody can get up to hijinks. Yeah, like... remember when they said the, the school is now closed today, um, you know, to, to pay our respects to Laura, and then it just never reopened. <laughs> right. No one's been fucking back. <laughs> they went back like two days later and it was like, 
Um, is everyone following their own B plots? Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, I guess we should get up to some shit, maybe? Um, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, who knows? yeah, but he's like, you know, I keep telling my, my mom and my dad that I'm staying at Mike's house, you know? Yeah. And she's like, right, well, wait a when I said we, I meant me and Leo... I wasn't including you in that. It's great to see where your headspace is at, though, Bobby. That's that's cool. Yeah. It's great to see where the chips, the chips fall in a way which isn't beneficial for you, Bobby. It's, it's great to see where you're going with this one. Thanks very much, buddy. So, yeah. So that's a real mess of the Johnson household. But let's let's return to the sheriff station for a moment. Because Donna is uh, telling Sheriff Truman that there is, in fact, a secret diary of Laura Palmer, which we know because she saw a book uh, labeled This is the Secret Diary of Laura Palmer. And no flies on Donna. She figured that was probably the secret diary of Laura Palmer. Maybe. I mean, maybe. Maybe. Um, But yeah, uh, so Sheriff Truman is like, Donna, didn't we tell you, first of all, get away from James. I know we've told you that. (laughs) Second of all, uh, you should not be screwing around because you're going to get yourself killed because there is still, despite what the show Twin Peaks believes, a murderer on the loose. Um, but this conversation is thankfully interrupted by the arrival of uh, uh, Regional Bureau Chief Gordon oh. Cole. Oh, the greatest thing ever. Uh, as played by uh, one David Lynch, yes, uh, who is wearing a hearing aid. Like the whole gimmick of this character is that he can't hear himself or others. Really, the whole gimmick of this character is to disguise the fact that when David Lynch speaks, he naturally shouts. <laughs> I don't know what you mean. Certainly, <laughs> that's my how impression. One of I've we spoken about this before. Like one of my. One of my all-time favorite, like David Lynch clips, and I implore everyone to go and check it out, is the one where he's talking about people watching movies on phones. You know, and he, he's sitting there, he's talking about the majesty of cinema and how important it is, and how you won't get it if you check it out on your fucking phone. Like this, this, he screams it, and I'm like, okay, David Lynch. You're a bit crazy, but that's kind of like Lynch kind of does it. Any interview you hear him, he doesn't speak like a normal person. It's like he's trying to project his voice to the back of the room constantly. So I think someone said this to him. You know, like, we, we can't move the boom mic far away from you and then bring it in so we can hear Sheriff Truman and then run away again. Maybe we could get some sort of, can we just have him shouting all the time? How do we do that? He's deaf. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what we do. He's deaf and he can only shout. Um, and David Lynch plays that part to a role. And I will say, David Lynch, I've seen a lot of cameos from directors in movies. Right? I've seen a lot of them. David Lynch is surprisingly fitted in Twin Peaks. He, he works surprisingly well in this show. Yeah, he, he's very funny. And one of my favorite things is hearing him pronounce the word vicuna. <laughs> or what about Chihuahua? Oh. Chihuahua. Is it kind of sounds like the sound you make when you bite something to eat it and you realize it's hotter than you thought? <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's take it again. Chihuahua. 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 
Chihuahua. Chamomo. Use whatever works. Cut. <laughs> Cut. You're not directing this episode, David. I'll see everyone later. I'm having a music listening at my apartment. It's all Swahili. Um. The coat was Vacuna. <laughs> it's it, it it really is a thing of magic. Um, That's amazing. One one of my favorite, uh, another one, just so I can keep doing this for a minute, um, is when Sheriff Truman is like, uh, so you're saying Albert Rosen because he tells him like Albert's not coming back, which is a non-answer to a question that Sheriff Truman did not ask. That's right. And um, then he mentions the Vicuna coat. And Sheriff Truman is like, the coat was made out of Vicuna. And Lynch's, <laughs> as Gordon Cole's response is, sounds real good, but I already ate. <laughs> it's, it's wonderful. That's pretty amazing, actually. <laughs> and uh, it turns out that Albert, uh, although not in Twin Peaks, has been doing some investigation and says that uh, he's found some uh, some some tattered pages from a diary, which certainly fits in with the secret diary of Laura Palmer, and also has examined the syringe uh, that was found after Mike uh, dashed into a uh, in one of the toilets at the sheriff's office and shot himself yep. up and or tried to. And it turns out that it's a really interesting combo. It's a really interesting combo. Weird stuff. Uh, says Agent Cole. And uh, into this scene marches one Deputy Hawk. As, as well as Mike, who has been apprehended now. Yeah. Mike's awkward to apprehend as well because you can only put one handcuff on him. <laughs> well, you have to like do one hand and then an ankle. <laughs> on the opposite, the opposite ankle though. Right. Well, so he he ends up doing. Uh, what is the name of that dance from the eighties where you would like jump through? I your... know the one that you're on a bit. <laughs> I never mind. It's a purely American thing. There, hip hop lovers in America will know just what I'm talking about. So, listeners, get on it. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we have that demographic locked in with this Twin Peaks podcast. <laughs> Look, we this is a big tent show. <laughs> um, so everybody's off to you know interrogate Mike, um, and we we go back to the Great Northern where Agent Cooper. Is still watching over Audrey because he's he's a stand up guy. And, he's a nice guy. Uh, Agent Cooper's the best. And Ben Horn uh, shows up because now she's awake and she she can cogitate a bit. Uh, she she's sweating out some of that clean burning propane. And um, Ben's like, you know, you you must have seen a lot while you were there. I'm just so sad. I'm so glad you're okay. And Audrey's like, yeah, I saw some shit, all right. And he's like, that's great, honey. You're you're gonna be fine. We, you know, we're we're gonna sort all of this out together. And she's like, 
oh, we're going to sort this out together, all right. And he's like, Billy why are you... back. <laughs> right. And he's like, why are you talking all creepy like that? You you're you just got off the gank, the yayo, the toot, <laughs> and the clean burning propane. And she's like, I'll, I'm going to get off the yayo, all right. And <laughs> <laughs> finally they make Ben Horn leave because they're like, she wasn't talking like that before. You got to get out of here. Uh <laughs> And um, she says, like, look, I need to go home, but can I can I have Agent Cooper take me home? And Ben Horn, no dummy himself, is uh, basically says, we can go home, but let's all go home together. So I'm in the car with you. So you don't say anything to Agent Cooper that, you know, maybe I don't want to I don't want you talking about because I'll totally blame it on 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 the skag. Yeah. Um. You know, Agent Cooper doesn't have a lot to do in that scene. It's mostly Audrey being like, I'm going to, I'm about to fuck my dad and not in the sexy way. <laughs> it's, a, it's a power play that we love from Audrey Horn. It's, it's, we finally got, she's back in the upper hand position, which is the way that character works best. And we've unfortunately not had it for a, a fair few episodes now. But now she's, now she's got her dad again. Exactly where she wants them. Yeah. And Aud- hopefully we will get some answers. Audrey's back, baby. Yeah. Um so we uh we jete from the Great Northern into uh the home of Ed and Nadine for a moment. Oh uh, yeah. So Nadine Ed! <laughs> This whole scene is really just a reminder of like Hey, remember that Nadine thinks she's a cheerleader now? That's and, exactly what it is. It doesn't really lead to anything. There isn't on the screen long enough to mean anything. Yeah, it, but she does uh, super super punch, um, like a, like Ryu punches uh, Ed right in the stomach, which apparently hurts because in addition to now thinking that she is an 18-year-old high school student cheerleader, who is staying at her house while her parents are gone to Europe, mm-hmm. uh, she also has Hulk strength. Yeah. Did you, what you basically said there, she came in and went, Hadouken! Like that, and hit him right in the, <laughs> right in the bread basket. Uh-huh. And, yep. he, and he, like, flew up into the air, and she was like, Ed! Ed, 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 Ed! And comboed him. <laughs> Juggled him in the air like eight times, and he was like, and he went, all rah, rah, rah. <laughs> "Yeah, I saw, it. I saw." It. KO, flawless victory. That's uh, a different game, but we'll let you off it. I don't care. You've got video game shows, well, boy. I shame. Hit, you know the sad part of that? I've never played a video game. <laughs> I'm totally faking it. I'm. It's everything I see on Twitch. Um. <laughs> so uh all right so we've established that nadine is still crazy and super strong yeah so then and we think poor ed oh man ed. there there's a scene at the double r that is maybe the saddest thing you ever saw yeah uh, so we go back to josie packard who is being sent packing yeah <laughs> like we did there that's 
that's what you get with this show, folks. Sorry. Um, so, She's packing hard, or packard. I and I can never remember the name of this dude, but anyway, he is her genetic Asian Asian man. Yeah, we find it more. What I really like about this is the transformation of this character, right? And this is what I love about this is he's basically saying to her, "Listen, I think they've maybe just made sweet love." Um, and he's like, "Listen, we need to go." And she's like, "But I don't want to go. I've got money to collect." I've got insurance money to collect for the the, the mill. Um, ben Horn owes me money. Uh, I don't want to go. And he's like, no, listen, we're going just now. This Mr. Whatever his name is will take care of you. Um, and she's like, but no, I need to stay here. I get to say, and he's like, no, it's not going to happen. And then we are led to believe through their conversation that Josie's been playing them all all along. Like everyone in Twin Peaks. Josie is not who she believed she was. She basically says, you know, I, I didn't come up here and get into this relationship and all the rest with her former partner um, to go through all this for nothing. To walk out empty-handed. And at this point, you're like, ooh, deception. Yeah. Convoluted. I uh, hope something bad doesn't happen to you later on in the season. Dun, dun, dun. But I didn't say what it was, so that's fine, and I hoped it didn't happen, so it's not a spoiler. Right. It, it's something we hope doesn't happen that probably does. Um, Trust me, the scriptwriters now wish that it didn't happen that way either. <laughs> I fucking sense. Um, anyway, anyway. So. Yeah. Creepy Asian man is just. The, we don't know who he is quite yet at the moment. All we know is he is with her. He works for someone that she has done a deal with, possibly in Seattle, um, and now he wants her out of there. He wants her gone. He wants her to come with him and travel um, now. And she doesn't want it at the moment anyway. She still thinks that she can make some sort of power play for money in Twin Peaks, and we'll see how that goes later on. Yes. Meanwhile, Maddie uh, is sitting uh, picturesquely by a dock. Or on a dock. Sitting on the dock of the bay. Hoping James don't come my way. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> yeah. And then up comes James. Waste of life. <laughs> <laughs> and, Which is what James is. Um, uh, so he takes a seat beside her. And he's like, hey, you look like Laura. And she's like, <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake. All right. <laughs> She's putting the stones in her pocket to get ready to jump in and finish it all. She's just like, what's that? <laughs> right, she, she, I'm going to walk into the water and that will be the end of all of this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's it, yet another example of a smart, capable woman being dragged down by James. Um, yeah. So Maddie uh, is, is saying like, hey, you know, it, it, I, I really enjoyed being here, but it's time for me to leave. Yeah. And James is like, you look like Laura. And she's like, Ugh. But she says that, doesn't she? She's like, um, I think it's when you looked at me, you saw Laura. And I'm like, yes, that is like, I'm glad that you've had to explain that to James because everyone else has fucking known it for all these episodes. But see, that'll throw him because he's like, wait a second. You look like Laura, and but you're not Laura. Yeah. And and she's like, oh, for, yes, that's, I don't know how, all right, look at these two rocks. These are both rocks. They kind of <laughs> look like each other, but they're two different things. 
but those rocks don't look like Laura. And and she's like, Ugh, all right, I'm just going to go, okay? Don't follow me, which I've said repeatedly for two episodes now. <laughs> and he's yeah. like, I'll stay here, Laura. And she's uh, you know. Um, so she gets the hell out of there. Uh, rightfully so. But big takeaway, James is still dumb. Maddie is about to get out of Twin Peaks. And yeah, we, she, her story arc is finished. We wish her nothing but the best. All the best to Maddie. She's she's been an interesting character and I look forward to when she returns in the new season of Twin Peaks. Absolutely. There surely she will be there uh in the new Showtime revival uh which is going to be wonderful. I look forward to yes. catching up with Maddie. Um Yes. All right, so now Josie is trying to get her money from uh, Ben Horn. And yeah, this scene I have dubbed the Battle of the Small Keys. <laughs> it is pretty great. <laughs> so she's like, hey, um, how about you pay me out? And he's like, no, because I have enough dirt on you in my safe. That is, let you know, here's this little key that will open a safe that's got all kinds of information that will send you to prison uh, for the rest of your life. And Jesse Packard is like, oh, but. All right, all right. Oh, I reined it hold in. That in. Hold that in because there's, there's a character coming up that will get plenty of that. All right. And. Uh, but he so he says like I will I will bury you, and she's like what ho I see your little key, Whoa. and I <laughs> <laughs> but hold uh, there there uh, thy key is small, look yonder to my larger safe deposit key, um, and so she has a key where she's like. You know, hey, I've been keeping tabs on you as well, and you'll go to jail for the rest of your life if I were to turn this over in the event of something happening to me. And uh, he's like, well, you know what? I respect this. I really like this. I like the fact that I'm a dirty bastard. I like the fact that you're kind of an evil bitch. We really do get along well. And um, he's like, okay, I'm going to pay you out in cash as per our previous arrangement and uh and says like out of as, as a sign of good faith he says i'm going to cut you a check uh on a tokyo bank 5 million dollars uh mm. from uh one monsieur tajibura yes yes a taste oh take a most honorable checker um, so she takes that money and she's like, I'll see you in the funny papers, Ben Horn. And meanwhile, she hands over, uh, what is the deed to the mill, the mill or whatever ownership of the, of the mill. So that Ghostwood Estates, um, oh man, that hoity toity place, um, can move forward. So, um, Anyway, that's kind of cool. In a different show, I think that scene would be better. But there's still always part of me that's like, I kind of don't care about all the, you know, 
real estate intrigue of Twin Peaks. I just want to get to some good old fashioned weirdness and murder. Yeah, yeah, don't worry, they won't let down. And but to further delay us, we're going back to the Johnson household. Yeah. Um, where Bobby and Shelly are having a little party of their own and totally about to do it with Leo right there at the kitchen table where they are, you know, making out furiously upon. Mm-hmm. Whereupon they make out furiously would probably be more gra- grammatically correct. Um, yes. And when she looks over, she thinks she sees Leo move. And Bobby to it's a bit killer, <laughs> right? Well, first of all, the fact that you're do- you're having sex with an underage kid, or I guess he's eighteen because every high schooler in Twin Peaks is eighteen. It turns out, mm-hmm. but the fact that you're you're about to throw down with this high school kid in front of your brain dead husband is you know questionable poor taste yes yes it's it's in poor taste but i like to see this as the point that leo johnson finally lives up to the nickname i gave him right back on episode number one what was that nickname duncan it's leo cut block johnson uh i thought it was cake face sorry um and no cake face is what he got afterwards but his original one he achieved and then we can give a new nickname so cut block johnson has a twitch, which kills the mood, and as a celebration for their mood being killed, uh, Bobby puts down a cake in front of him, and then maybe accidentally nudges the chair as he's walking away, and Leo's face right into the cake. Ruins a perfectly good cake. Um, so Bobby's like, oh no, what are we going to do? Let's wipe the cake off your face. And then he says, you know, I'm glad that I didn't like those candles and and then he's like and 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 leo is like because he's not happy he's also got a kazoo in his mouth as well so it's like it's just again one of those scenes that who gives a shit like we know that leo is uh probably not just gonna be a vegetable forever he's gonna be a robocop Oh my god! If if he showed up with like a metallo body, and <laughs> come with me, or there will be trouble. Like sh- shoots Bobby through Shelly's skirt. <laughs> it's like it's like they're sitting there eating. They're, they're sitting there eating the rest of the cake, and all they can hear in the distance is. He's like fucking hammering the door. Right. The dad from uh, that '70s show shows up at the window, all melted. Yeah. Do you want to fly? No, was it? Can you fly, Bobby? <laughs> Clarence Bodiger. Oh, Clarence Bodiger. God, how yeah, do I like, forget that? That's such a great yes, name. I don't want to fuck with you, Sam. <laughs> But I got the might, I got the muscle to shove so far, was it so much of this factory up your stupid wap-ass, you'll be shitting snow for a year! Hold oh, up. Just take... give me my fucking phone call, Bo. <laughs> let's take a break and just watch Robocop. Man, I watched that again in about, I don't know, it was probably two years ago or so. Hold up! 
holds up. I, I was stunned by how violent that movie is. It's super violent. That movie was cut to fuck in the UK. You could not see that movie. And it used to get played on the TV all the time at nine o'clock and they would rip it to shreds. There was half the scenes were not in it. And what I love about it is Agent Rosenthal is in that, in that, um, <laughs> I love it as well. He's in there. And I love the fact that he, um, is, he's, um, he's in the toilet or something. He's taking a piss in the toilet. And, uh, the guy comes across him, um, played by the actor whose name escapes me. And he's like, he's like, yeah, you make some jokes. And, and I think in the movie it says, like, we used to call the old man funny names behind his back. One time I even called him asshole. Like, as if that's the worst word you can call someone. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. But in the UK version on TV, I fucking love this because they edit them out. So it was like Yippie you get like um, Yippie Kai Kimosa instead of Yippie Kai motherfucker. Right. Um, and movies like Die Hard or Yippie Kai Melon Farmer. Uh, you know, if you want oh. to, uh, but in this one, asshole is not a bad word. You can sh- you can say that after the watershed in the UK at nine o'clock. You can use the word asshole. No, it's blue ties. But they use the same dubbing voice every single time, which didn't sound anything like the guy's voice. Is like we used to call him a lot of funny names behind his back. One time, I even called him Airhead. That's pretty wonderful. <laughs> I implied that he was flighty in nature. Yeah. Um, That's just fucking... But it is a hyper-violent movie. Yeah. Oh, like when they kill uh, uh, Peter Weller in that film. They blow his hand off. Yeah, that's one of the goriest things. Like, (laughs) it's right up there with, you know, Brundlefly puking on dude's hand. And Scanner's head explosion. It's fucking in the same bracket. God, oh man, I I love a good hand explosion and or melt. I've learned. Yeah, this show teaches yeah. me too, Duncan. Um, <laughs> where were? Oh, oh, okay. So we got to go back to the sheriff's department. Yes. Uh, where you know, in addition to uh, the usual investigative hijinks, um, Deputy Chief Regional Deputy Chief Cole is. Uh, letting <laughs> takes agent cooper into a private office so he can shout at him and i love this scene though because oh, cooper walks in doesn't make eye contact with him goes gordon well, listen he's like ah cooper right well, it's, it's just a great is just the, the fbi is the coolest place to work that's what i've decided unless your name's james comey hi oh my god it. well it's, that's right it topical topical <laughs> Before Agent Orange. Uh, but so yeah, he's like that. <laughs> he's like, we need to have a conversation. We need to do it in private. They go into the room, and of course, because Agent Cole um, is deaf, that conversation is very loud, and everyone outside the door can hear it. With my my favorite moment of this is when, you know, he's asking after Agent Cooper's health, and it is like, you know, you you look a little tired and all that stuff, and. Uh, uh, drops a bit of information to do with something that happened in Pittsburgh, I think. Yeah, it says Where, he was wounded there. Um, and Agent Cooper is obsessed, like, though. Yes, that was. I think that's what we have to take away from it is that whatever case he was involved with, very similar to what's happening in Twin Peaks, he obsessed about it and as such put himself in danger. He muses a little bit, uh, rhapsodic, waxes rhapsodic here because he says that aside from 
the uh, some slightly dark circles under Agent Cooper's eyes, he looks pretty good. And he's like, you know, but but sleep is not not the domain of the FBI agent. That some sleepless nights are 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 just part of the job. And Sheriff Truman, trying to be a good dude, pokes his head in and is like, "Hey, you know, I can hear you guys because you're both shrieking at one another, <laughs> screaming like a banshees," and <laughs> and. <laughs> Mr. Tajimura's here? <laughs> Might as well. Might as well. Uh, and uh, so Sheriff Truman is like, hey, we can we can all hear you out here. And uh, Deputy Agent Cole, uh, or Deputy Chief Cole, says, why don't you invite him in? Yeah, and, right, after, right after Cooper's already invited him in. <laughs> right. It's, oh, it's so good. Um, but it turns out that they got... Um, God, what's this guy's name? Macon Earl? Mason Earl? Wyndham. Wyndham Earl. So Wyndham Earl uh, has sent a letter to the FBI that is a chess deal, uh, as they call it, which is is just a chess move. Um, I'm sure in the fancy UK, you just call it a chess deal. Here in the good old US of A, outside of Twin Peaks, we call it a chess move. Um, um, but it's, it's a chess move in the pa- UK. Pawn to Kings 4 is, is the move. And he says, uh, Agent Cooper says, this is an opening move from Wyndham Earl. Mm-hmm. And uh, a- Deputy Chief Cole is like, we've got your back, Coop. And he, so just yet another reminder like, oh, this Wyndham Earl dude is still on the prowl. Yeah. Um, and is going to show up, and that storyline is going to be wonderful. So, um, let's get to the clearly not crazy Leland Palmer. He's not crazy. No. I mean, he's white-haired because of the trauma of losing his only daughter, sure. Yeah, but he's not crazy. No. I First of all... The uh, American Medical Association does not recognize crazy as a diagnosis, despite my repeated letters to get them to change their mind. Great letters as well. Great, great letters. Well, I thought Crayon made its point. Um, yes, yes. Crayon, I, I like the personal uh, touch of the excrement signature at the bottom. Everyone likes a, a, a poo signature. Yes, and I, I've sent them a number of, of Zunes. That are filled with the Gnarls Barkley song. <laughs> <laughs> and those come back unopened. And I think that's just rude. Yeah. Um, I, you know, do you know how much it costs to get 300 Zunes, Duncan? About $5. Yeah. I mean, well, it's 10 American, but yeah. Um, <laughs> I keep sending them obsolete devices carrying songs that no one wants to listen to. And will they answer me? No. I have invested all of my money into Zoom technology. And it's going to pay off eventually. People are going to wake up to the fact that that is a fine device. Apple's um, just a phase. <laughs> it's, I mean, are you kidding me with all these big phones that they have now? Just ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, I have one of those, by the way, one of the big, like, seven pluses or whatever. 
So have I. Yeah, it's a great phone. Same phone. Me and you have the same phone, but we're phone buddies. And but... <laughs> phone buddies. Twinsies. Twin Peaksies. Phone Twin Peaksies. Amazing. <laughs> Hashtag that shit. Hashtag oh, that's what we're gonna. Twin Peaksies. Oh, that's oh, that's what that's what our fans are called. Oh my goodness, listeners. You oh, this is the greatest day ever. Of Twin Peaksies. Twin Pe- hashtag Twin Peaksies from now on. Hashtag- oh, boy, this is the greatest day. Oh, in wait, I've got the hashtag because I feel like Twin Peaksies isn't quite enough. If you're really <laughs> promoting the show, it's hashtag Twin Peaksies, no backsies. Oh, 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 it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Oh my god! This everything, everything we went through, all the trauma, all the recording has been worth it to reach this point. And I'm talking about the three years we've been recording. Yeah, uh, I mean, let's be honest; most of it's garbage. This moment, it's has, a great moment. It's it's been all worthwhile. All worthwhile. Twin Peaksies, no Peaksies. Um, oh, it feels good. It feels good to say it. It rolls off the tongue. Um, what else going on? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> what's happening in, in twin peaksies um god now i just want to call the show twin peaksies yeah i think so not well. our show but the show we're doing like duncan and Bo um, go to twin peaksies yeah let's do that <laughs> i'll put that on the show art um yeah let's let's just let's just uh, the only way to do it is to start from the beginning so opening scene okay so uh we Peace have making coffee He's going out to do the fishing. He walks around the walk and goes around the rock and finds straight We're going back to the beginning. We've restarted this show now for the third time. That's how we do it. Twin Peaksies. No, oh, no, it's no Baxies. Oh, it is no Baxies, so we can't go back to the first episode. No. It's just Damn. Twin Peaksies moving forward. That's right. Um, Damn. Yeah, quit fucking up our show, Duncan. <laughs> so uh, denied by our own hashtag. Oh, hoisted on our own petardsies. <laughs> oh, I don't care if anyone else laughs at that. That makes me very happy. I'm so happy right now. <laughs> as happy as Ben Horn talking to Leland Palmer, Duncan? Zs? Oh, yeah, well, yeah, but no, he's, he's in a bit of a quandary, right? His quandary is that Jerry's not there. Jerry has been dispatched to Tokyo to fondle many geishas along the way and do a bit of investigation into who this Tojimura fellow is, who everyone in the world knows it is not a man. Not a man. Um, it's definitely it, not see you next Tuesday, Catherine Martell. Definitely not see you next Tuesday, Catherine Martell. However... He's at a bit of a loss. He needs to slow things down. He needs to slow things down. He's already taken money from the, the Norwegians, but he's in this position where there could be a potential new deal. How can he slow things down? He has no one to talk to. Jerry's not there. He's having to play a bit of a gamble here and bring in the crazy who's not crazy into the room. And he sits Leland down. And Leland is is doing his best Frank Drebin. So like he's there's there's a, like a a stuffed animal behind him, which he touches and the fur comes off. 
<laughs> and then he's like, looks <laughs> at and Ben. Ben's looking at him, going, "What are you doing?" And he's like, uh, uh, "Yeah, yeah." So he puts it in his pocket to hide the evidence. It's oh man, that it's to so me that's fucking... the the greatest moment in this scene is him putting that fur into his breast pocket. Like I might need this later. It's just hilarious. But once again, Rewise amazing in this show. So Rewise is like that. Well, we get inspections. Um, what we do is we. Um, inspections we get the state in there we get all these different people to survey the land which will slow things up transfer the money through the caymans we need to um get like a, a hedge fund thing set up and then consolidate all our money through all this stuff like that and he finishes and he's like that to ben and ben's like oh my leland's back and um they're happy again because Leland's back in form. Leland has not lost his mind and will not be singing five minutes from now. No. That will not happen. Absolutely that will not. Happen. not. I do not like him show. rattling that stuff. Like, like, yeah, see, we'll tie him up in court for the rest of their lives, see? Um, it, it's <laughs> see? A, <laughs> it's a really, really fun. Uh, like, but it, it's good as well because, like, we, we know... We know Leland's involvement, but we we know Leland's a lawyer as well as an attorney, but we don't know what he's been doing for them, and we get this glimpse of the Leland we've never met. Yeah, you know, this this kind of savvy, corrupt sort of lawyer who is, you know, looking at for the best interests of his client by basically playing the law to their advantage. And it's a great little scene because we get this snapshot of who Leland should be as a character had not all the things happened to him already the, the show so yeah it's, I, th- I think i think it works wonderful uh, it's a short scene and um, but like i say um faith put in there uh, leland may not be kept there for long yeah it, it it really is fun and uh you know again nothing nothing bad could possibly come of any of this nothing. um so now uh you know we know that shit is going down with josie packard she's been sent packing and uh <laughs> sheriff truman shows up uh as fate would have it and she has uh her assistant she tells him mr lee carrying her backs to the car and sheriff truman is you know rightfully uh asking like what the fuck is going on here and she says like oh I, you know i have to go for a little while i almost slipped back into it i'm sorry uh, don't do it I, I know the, the next scene the next scene we'll, we'll get this all out of our system mm-hmm. um and it, it's really him saying you know like hey i'm in love with you where are you going and she she's like it's best you forget about me harry and <laughs> that was not that was not exaggerated that was bad. It was, that was that was not bad that yeah was not bad um and he's like but i don't want to forget about you because you're joan chin and you're kind of hot um also you got the asian thing going on which is kind of rocking so what's going on and i don't even mind the fact that you call me harley oh duncan (laughs) oh i would edit that right out but as we have established no backs no backsies no backsies um all right, all right, let's skip over that because we need to get to where we can get all of this out. Oh, get the system, come on. So, completely not See You Next Tuesday, Catherine Martell, uh, Mr. Tajimura, is meeting with Ben Horn uh, at, the, at the Great Northern. And uh, 
he says, because it's clearly not a she, I have given you a five million dollars. <laughs> I, I wish that were an exaggeration. Mirren. Bernard, you disrespect me. Nothing for my money. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't really know anything about you. And, you know, how about we just get to know each other a little bit? And what, how does Nagasaki come up? It, it, oh, like, fuck. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. Uh, talks about the fire damage. Right, right. Yeah, uh, she says that you don't need to worry about the fire damage. Like, she knows all about that. Her parents were at Nagasaki and the air in the room leaves. <laughs> Almost as like someone had dropped the atomic bomb right outside. Uh, and you think this show was in pretty poor taste. It has crossed the Rubicon. Um, I mean, the only way this scene is more offensive is if someone runs up behind her, strikes a gong, and we hear it is like literally one of the cringiest racist scenes ever. And like Ted Danson shows up in blackface behind her. <laughs> well, I hope we can get you some more pie. Songs of the South plays on loop in the background. Um, oh, yeah, I mean, it is awful. It's, ter- uh, it's fucking terrible. It really, really is. And I'm sorry, this is 1991. No excuse for poor taste here. And it's just kind of casually flung in there and it's an awkward scene and if I'm you know if I'm Piper Laurie I'm wondering why I am doing this <laughs> you know I mean? there's actually a pretty good moment uh with her later but yes, it's a great moment man it is it is so cringeworthy yeah. I mean come on I, I will allow Baxi's Twin Peaksies if you will take this scene back <laughs> um it is just it's so offensive, like the using, uh, co-opting, if you will, the tragedy of Nagasaki for a character that is dressed up like a, a Japanese man that is neither Japanese nor a man. Yeah. Oh, oh, come on now. It it it's pr- it's pr- it's cringy. It's really, really, really cringy, and um, very quickly we we kind of move away from the scene, but not before. A Tajimura walks to the bar and bumps into our our guy, good guy Pete Martell. Pete Martell's up there, and um, Pete tries to be a nice guy, strikes up a conversation, um, offers to buy sake. Uh, Tajimura says no, and then he produces a pint tumbler which is filled with milk, which is weird. But once again, not the strangest thing I've seen in Twin Peaks. Um, their awkward conversation is over, and we very quickly move away from this scene, hopefully never to repeat it ever again. Well, let's talk about the floor show going on in this scene, too, because yeah. Leland Palmer has taken the uh, <laughs> the microphone from the Radio Days poster mm-hmm. and is singing Getting to Know You. Yeah. And is working the room like a pro. He is working the room like a fucking pro. He's two seconds away from telling people to try the fish and tip their waiter. He does actually say Twin Peaks audiences are the best audiences in the world. 
he does. He asks him where they've flown in from. Oh. How are they doing? It's fucking amazing. All I could think of was, I want to go to a bar. This is my dream now. My new fantasy is, I want to be at the table with Hawk, Rustin Cole, and Agent Cooper having a conversation about the universe while Leland Palmer works the room in the background. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's what I want. Make that happen. I, occasionally interrupting the conversation and be like, so where are you guys from? I'm from yeah. everywhere, man. <laughs> Time is a flat circle. <laughs> no, like, like, not even to let them finish. He's like, so, so where are you guys in from? Uh, what we're discussing? Oh, the universe. I've got the universe flat circle. Circle. Right. See you later. Try the fish. <laughs> like just, just like over the next table. Um, I think you'll find it's Pythagoras theorem. Yeah, that's what you want to use to find out that that uh, circumferential area. So yeah, yeah. Try the steak. Try the steak. Steak. Right. Where are we going to next? Where are we going to? You're just like working his way around the room. But Ben Horn is noticeably cringed out by this. Not only is he just heard someone who clearly isn't who they say they are using the Nagasaki reference, which is not cool. He, he then sees his business partner and attorney dancing and working the room and he's like, oh, for fuck, can I not get a break now? When did I become it? Like, in this situation. So he, like, works his way over, but then Leland's, like, yeah, hugging into him, and then they have to awkwardly finish a duet together, which is kind of amazing. It, yeah, I, aside from... It really is the tale of two scenes, right? It was the, the best of scenes. It was the worst of scenes. <laughs> uh, it was an age of racism. It was an age or an epoch of uh, hilarious Ray Wise moments. Um, yeah, it like all the racism in this scene. And there is plenty. So much of it. So much so that you would say that they met the quota for the entire season in this one scene. Yeah, it's it's real, real rough stuff. But, yeah, you do get Ben Horn and Leland Palmer, one of them reluctantly singing Getting to Know You, while good guy Pete Martell is slamming milks at the bar like there ain't no tomorrow. Um, no tomorrow. Man, I love uh, milk in a frozen mug, by the way. It's just the best. Do you? Oh, yeah. goodness. That's good, to, that's good to know. I'm not a big milk drinker. Uh, do you do you not like good things? What's the problem? I like I like milk in my coffee, um, but oh, well, I would that's not sacrilege. I <laughs> I would not sit down to a glass of milk unless I had like the the only time that ever happens is if I've got like Oreos or cookies, and then there's like a child childlike thing that springs up that's like that. I have Oreos. I need milk. But yeah. out with that, I would never just like say mmm feeling kind of parched you know what nice tall glass of milk would never happen in would fairness happen in my household i'm never more than three feet away from a chocolate chip cookie <laughs> i want to live in your world it's delicious and mm. also uh my heart sometimes hurts <laughs> uh, it's delicious not nutritious and that's that's why yeah. i got the peg leg now duncan <laughs> it turns out i Diabetes sees no back sees either. Um, yeah. <laughs> did, did, did thou not heed Wilford Brimley's warning, Bo? Um, which one? Uh, mo most of the time, <laughs> I'm all right. I want to come back inside. That's the only <laughs> thing I know from Wilford Brimley. Yep. Um, 
pretend to be us? Anyway. Uh... <laughs> oh, Wilford Brimley as Mr. Tajimura. Oh, my God. Could you imagine? I I killed a I... bunch of myself back in Iwo Jima. Uh, I gave you a check for five million, goddammit. <laughs> I want to see something for my money, goddammit. No, I don't want a glass of milk. I want to. I want to come inside. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Wilford Brimley's but Wilford Brimley's the only man I know that likes his sushi well done. Uh, where's the ketchup? Goddammit! Goddammit! I don't want none of your soy sauce. God damn it. <laughs> Give me some American ketchup, maybe some mustard. <laughs> I eat all my eel with Worcestershire. Worcestershire <laughs> sauce. <laughs> and make make that white haired man stop singing German songs, god damn it. <laughs> singing German, goddamn kick their ass in a war. Two of them. Two wars. Kick <laughs> their ass. Kick their hides. Anyway. Kick their hides. Oh, <laughs> uh, Wilford Brimley is not in this scene. If he had been, it would have been better. No, but, but he, yeah, so... But he is in the well, next scene. Um, <laughs> where he plays Mike, the inhabiting spirit. Oh, my God. Yeah, so they, they bring Mike in, and they've done a bit of, um, a bit of uh, research on the substance and like we knew before and it's a kind of concoction which um which i prepare it all god damn it <laughs> and it's they, they kind of <laughs> they sit him down and uh, like mike does not want to be there mike just wants his injection um and we find out very quickly why he wants his injection his injection bow is basically used to um prohibit his body being taken over by a demon. Now, I know what you're thinking. This is not where I thought the show was going. However, the name of the episode is Demons. So I should have seen it going that way. Um, Yeah. This demon is the Mike demon. um, And we kind of knew this before because Cooper had a flashback. Well, sorry, had a, a dream way back in season one. Um, in which he was told about Mike, the one-armed man who used to be friends with Bob, um, and Bob is our killer. Kinda. Yeah. Well, because we're talking about inhabiting spirits in this scene, um, he's saying Bob. the The sketch is Bob's true face, mm-hmm. but Bob is not going to look like that he is going to be no, possessing someone else he's a parasite spirit that basically latches on to someone and uses them for mischief and pleasure um now i love these terms like mischief and pleasure which translates in twin peaks to rape and murder <laughs> so something maybe lost in translation there just a little bit but mike 
is trying to track down his old running buddy. Basically, they used to they used to hang together back in the day. Yeah. Uh, and Until the, 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 uh, Mike saw the face of God and was purified and cut off his arm. Cut off his arm. Um, and he, from time to time, from time to time, frequents Mike's body to take it back over. And for all intents and purposes, try and track down Bob. Um, but... Uh, they they obviously share the the rhyme the firewall with me rhyme which once again is totally bitching um and then we get a new kind of rhyme thing at the end and at this point Cooper just asks him outright you know where's Bob when was the last time you saw Bob and he tells him forty years ago and we're like hmm so Bob has been loose for forty year forty years you say hmm mm-hmm. interesting. Let me do the math here. And you get your calculator out and you start tapping your calculator. And you realize that there's nothing to calculate at the moment because it's just number 40. So yeah. you need to press a 4 and a 0. So this calculator is fucking useless. You put your calculator back down and you start thinking. Um, and he says, do you know where Bob is? And he does a riddle. Um, the riddle isn't great. No, it's it, it's a a wooden house with many rooms and different souls in in each of them, and many of the yeah. rooms are are identical. Yeah, yeah, and of course Cooper being the fucking bomb, just like that, and the Great Northern Hotel, um, and then we see a picture of the Great Northern Hotel, and end of the episode entitled Demons, um. All right, so that's a cliffhanger, but listeners, Twin Peaksies, more precisely. Uh, we are going to continue because we're not here to tease you. All right, we're, we are not here to tease. Just right, please. we're we're gonna we're gonna satisfy like like a, a big old Snickers, like a big Snickers, goddammit. Um, <laughs> it's an American diabetes. chocolate, caramel, peanuts, nougat. It's a goddamn American dessert. Uh, nougat. That's how you, he refuses to pronounce it the correct way. He just calls it nougat. Nougat. Well, how do you pronounce nougat. it, goddammit? Nougat. That's how it's pronounced. It's French. French. <laughs> He's so fucking angry. Someone mentioned French. <laughs> Give me my freedom fries, goddammit. I'll tell you what, let's just call them potato sticks. Potato sticks. Just cram them in my mouth, goddammit. Let my let my healthy mustache brush the salt right off them. Because we'll I, I them got a little pot- hypertension in addition to the diabetes. We'll, we'll call them potato batons. What do you mean the word batons? What? French? What? What? What am I watching? Twin Peaksies. The whole show is filled with Native Americans, proud noble people, and then all these Asian people. Why couldn't Americans play these parts? God damn it. Wilford Brimley is a union. That's amazing. (laughs) He's the the actor's union. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Michael Horse, totally for it. Man, <laughs> look look at the tassels on my jacket and tell me I don't support Native American rights. God damn it. 
I've been in their casinos. Yeah. Won my first wife that way. <laughs> Won my first wife. You see me in a goddamn kimono? No. <laughs> oh, well, if I broke the only, only, only thing I liked about the last episode was him talking about goddamn Nagasaki. Showed them Japanese folks who's boss twice. God damn it. Um, <laughs> sorry. It's so. Oh, it's just so easy to slip into that character. Though you could be there forever. I yeah. I know. Every time I come come back, it's a little harder. Um, the yeah, next episode. <laughs> it's entitled uh, "Lonely Souls," directed by David Lynch, written by Mark Frost. Yeah, this one's a hugely important episode. Like, hugely important episode. Because, had this been a TV show existing in now, you know, 2017, this would be the... Existing now. Yeah. This would be the penultimate episode of the season. Well, yeah, but we're not dealing with a normal show, nor a normal writer, nor a normal director. Yeah, this one, this one is, for all intents and purposes, by the end of this episode, ladies and gents, you will know who the killer of Laura Palmer is. So. Yeah, yeah, we're we're legitimately solving the the murder of Laura Palmer this episode, listeners. Twin Peaksies, yep. get on Peaksies. your Twin Peaksies beanies. <laughs> This is this is and this is a dark episode all round. The end of this episode is some of the most brutal stuff I've ever seen on television. Yeah, like watching it back this time around, I was actually thinking, I don't think I've seen anything like this on TV. And I've seen characters raped on TV. I've seen characters eviscerated on TV. But this to me is the genius of Twin Peaks. This is why like, when people talk about how influential this show is. I think some people think that what they mean in saying influential is just that it, there was weird narratives and people could start doing weird things like the X-Files and stuff like that after it. And they are right to an extent, but I think what they're meaning is just in general how far this pushed TV in terms of content. Um, and this episode is pretty much the pinnacle of that. Um, like, the the final ten minutes of this episode are weirdly beautiful and wholly disturbing like like on just on just on a completely insane level remember when I, earlier on i was talking about the texas chainsaw massacre and how it taps into that kind of psychosexual almost like fever dream hysteric horror that you can't put your finger on your brain starts going into overdrive the end of this episode does exactly the same um, and a lot, of, in a lot of respects, owes a lot to something like Texas Chainsaw Massacre as well, um, especially in the kind of close-up shots of terror on um, a certain character's face that we will get to. But yeah, this one is this like this is legit. This is a legit episode. As we get every time Lynch and Frost pair back up to do an episode, this is as legit as it gets. Um, and yeah. Uh, we have a lot to compact 
So um, let's start off. Let's start off with something kind of positive and cheery and happy. But how does this episode start? Uh, we start with a last week on Twin Peaks, as delivered yep. by Agent Cooper, uh, Deputy Chief, uh, re- Regional Deputy Chief Gordon Cole, uh, Sheriff Truman, Deputy Andy, Mike is there, as well as Deputy Hawk. Ka-ka! Um, and basically, we're recapping where we are, which is, hey, we're go- we've got a warrant uh, that is being served by Deputy Hawk to go to the uh, the house of Agent Smith to try to retrieve the secret diary of Laura Palmer. Ah, uh, Agent Hawk, I've been expecting you. I'm here to do something awesome. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> When you say, like, a recap, it is a literal recap because Mike repeats the same riddle that he did right at the end of the previous episode. Like, this same riddle, word for word, while they're standing out in the hall as if no one took a note of it or if everyone forgot it. Yeah, and... uh, Very weird. So they're going to go to the Great Northern and try to figure out who is inhabiting, or who Bob is inhabiting. Yeah. Um, Deputy Hawk is off to search Agent Smith's... (laughs) Apartment. No, no, no. Don't ever apologize for that. (laughs) Don't you ever (laughs) stop doing that. (laughs) And uh, Deputy Chief Cole is off to, I'm going to Bend, Oregon. Real hush, hush. Nice to meet you fellas. Um, So he is, he is out of the picture because David Lynch had to direct this episode. Um, So at the great Northern, Apparently, there is a sailor-slash-ball-bouncing convention going on. Of course there fucking is. Honestly, David Lynch, you've had the episode for less than five minutes, and the room is full of sailors bouncing balls. I mean, for fuck's sake. Right. All in in an effort, I would argue, to just make everything unsettling. But this is like, honestly, this is the problem with Twin Peaks. Let me tell you the problem with Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks. The problem with Twin Peaks is... All this surreal shit only happens every, like, fifth episode when Lynch gets his hands on it. Like, all the real weird surrealist shit in the background only ever happens when Lynch has his hands on it. And then it doesn't exist until he gets his hands on it again. And it's fucking frustrating because you imagine a whole show where, well, we're going to get it. We're going to get it, like, in the new season because he's directing every fucking episode to Mm. the best of my knowledge. Um, But you imagine, like, Every single episode of Twin Peaks had been directed by David Lynch. Your brain would fucking melt out your ears. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it's 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 an amazing opening because we're just dragging these sailors in front of Mike, yeah, uh, who, who is, is like, nope, not having a great time. Nope, not Bob. Nope, <laughs> nope. And then Ben Horn storms down the hall. Because he has gotten wind of the fact that all of his guests are being marched in front of a one-armed man with uh, Sheriff Truman and Agent Cooper flanking him to be evaluated and judged. Um, Which is what I do to everyone I meet, quite frankly. I do the same. Yeah, just no, no. All right, nope. Nope, nope, nope. Yep, nope is uh, how my day goes. 
I do the Scottish equivalent, which is good guy, good guy, good guy, wank, good guy, wank, good guy, good guy. You have a lot more positives uh, going on than I do. Well, well, it's because I live in Scotland and we're generally quite nice people to other Scots. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) The rest of the world, go fuck yourself. Um, And that's from the heart. Um, That's nice. Which isn't there. (laughs) Scotland sounds like a bunch of assholes, goddammit. Well, Uh, for Brimley, we'd love fucking Scotland. I bet it, yeah. I I bet you're right. Finally, people as angry as me. Wilford Brimley's Brimley's so fat that he's twinned with a town over here. (laughs) There's a town called Brimley? No. Called Wilford? Do you not have that in America? What are you talking about? Where you twin a town with somewhere else in the world. I have no idea what you're talking about. Right, so over here they have like... um, like villages and towns, um, certain ones are twinned with like places in America or Canada or Mexico or things like that, or French cities or whatever. So you twin them with another town. How is this a fun? This is why Americans are universally hated by everyone else. In the <laughs> what world. do you mean by twin them? Twinned. Right. Twin. I don't know how else to, uh, yeah, twinned. I don't know how else to describe it. They're twinned. <laughs> All right. This city, this like um oh for fuck's sake. Um <laughs> I need, Jesus Christ. I need you so, to like, I, submit I, this in writing, live, McLeish. <laughs> like, so I live in I live in Falkirk, right, in, in, in Scotland. So it would be like Falkirk twinned with I don't know, Marseille. And basically, it just means that someone, like maybe the the provost of our town, has made a and like has visited sometime. He's visited France and they made some sort of agreement that basically twin. So they basically they don't do anything out with on the signpost and it says we're twinned with some place that isn't the place that we're in, and they do the same on their side. How do you not know about this? Because you it's must not have something this in America. we do here. It's, it's like must, every town will. is its own town. We don't need twin towns. The only time you're going to yeah, get that is Minneapolis, St. Paul, a.k.a. the Twin Cities. No, you, you must. Um, Thames, Twinned. Oh, I'm all right now. At, at, like, and is this twin something, Thames, right. right. Is this Here something that is commonly known by the citizens of Falkirk that you guys are somehow twinned with Marseille? <clears throat> Here we go. Twin towns are sister cities. Twin towns or sister cities are a form of legal or social agreement between towns, cities, counties, oblasts, or prefectures, provinces, regions, states, and even countries in geographical and provincial district areas to promote cultural and commercial ties. The modern concept of twinning towns conceived after the Second World War in 1947 was intended to foster friendship. This is how America doesn't have it. Um, an understanding between different cultures and different former foes as an act of peace. Once again, how America doesn't have it. And mm-hmm. reconciliation to encourage trade and tourism. In recent times, town twinning has increasingly been used to form strategic international business links between member cities. In other words, be friends with people. Yeah, that's that aren't, not our that, that style. That don't live beside you. Fucking weirdos, Americans, honestly. 
I, it's look. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm saying that we as a culture have have apparently in the 40s, long before I was born, as a society, looked at this concept and went, mm, no thanks. Yeah. What, what's that? Forge relationships with other people. That sounds like friendship to me. Straight up, call me bullshit. Also, uh, how about you take your concept of Twin Cities, shove it right up the ass of the metric system, <laughs> and then you can both go fuck yourselves. Listen, dude, like, the UK claimed to have went metric. It never fucking met. You, you go into a bar, you order a pint. Like, with the, in Scotland, you measure yourself in stones and pounds. Well, we have pounds, too. Yeah, we don't well, have you stones. don't have stones. Or, exactly. Right, because we're a, a modern civilization that doesn't use a rock as a form of measurement. Yeah, yeah modern civilization that doesn't use a metric system. Don't hit me with that. <laughs> we I'm, I'm more, we I'm more gave you Michael Jackson. <laughs> we gave you Susan Boyle. Touche. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> National treasure. <laughs> Fucking Twin Towns. Get the fuck out Twin of here. Towns like Twin Peaks. Twinsies Towns. I'm Twinsies Towns, that's what we're naming it now. I, I'm surprised that you guys don't like, we're Twinsies Towns, and then you just prance around like a bunch of fairies. Sounds like something a narrow-minded American would say. Hey, we're Twinsies Towns. Would you like some crisps? Twinsies! <laughs> Have some crisps. <laughs> How about how about I drive my bin lorry to your twinsy town? Oh, you cunt! <laughs> <laughs> you leave the bin lorries out of this. <laughs> the bin lorries, by the way, my my favorite, uh, my favorite soccer team. Um, I can't wait to come to America so we can walk on your sidewalk and go horseback riding. Hey. You, mock if you will but that is explicit language that tells you exactly what's going on like yeah. waste paper basket and garbage truck yeah we, we, we don't want any other ambiguity of what else you might want to do with the horse right well that's what donkey shows are for now that's the kind <laughs> of ambiguity that we as americans embrace because you don't want to call a donkey show a hey a very poor desperate woman is about to be mounted by a donkey in a way that's going to make everyone in the room feel bad. That's yeah, no way donkey. to advertise, Duncan. <laughs> anyway, this episode's really long, but just right, spoke right. about 10 so, minutes in about twinsies. Well, I mean, you can't just drop shit like that. And like, you know, over here we have, you know, glove friends. It's like, what no, the no, fuck no, are you no, talking over, about? No, 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 not over here. The rest of the world, Bo. The rest of the world, and then just America. So it's not just over there. Like, over and, and there. listen, in the case, in over the case there. of this scenario here, America is I am legend, right? The rest of the world is fine. Yeah, and yeah, that's right. We are legends, sir. We yeah. we will sit like Vincent Price in our sad little apartment <laughs> until a, another culture rises around us to destroy us. Um. <laughs> Or you destroy yourselves. Anyway, let's move. All right, all right. So, uh, so Mike um, has a conniption when Ben shows up to demand to know what the hell Twin Cities are. And oh, you fuck. <laughs> like, I, I just got off the phone with someone from Scotland, and he was talking about Twin Cities. I don't know what the fuck he was talking about. Mike, what about you? And he's like, grr. And, 
<laughs> he was like, <laughs> he was like, girl, girl, <laughs> they took her jobs to take the jobs. <laughs> Mike's like, I've never heard of such a thing. God damn it. And just passes right out. Uh, meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, the scene gets a bit of levity when Agent Hawk travels out to see Agent Smith. Right. And uh, finds instead, uh, like he knocks on the door and nobody opens up. He's like, I've got a warrant and I'm coming in because Deputy Hawk do what Deputy Hawk do. And throws open the door to see a pair of legs uh, just swinging from the hothouse in the back of the this. Uh, I assume a rental. Uh, I don't think <laughs> I don't think Harold owns this place, um, which is going to make it harder to rent in the future because now it's haunted, yeah. and now yeah, it's haunted by Agent Smith. Yeah. I am a ghost. Boo. <laughs> ah, new tenants. I've been expecting you. How on about, Tuesdays, you will help your landlady take out her garbage. How about I suddenly put all the chairs on this table? <laughs> Scary, right? Um, <laughs> sometimes I talk to your child through the television. It's spooky. Boom. Oh my god! Uh, uh, are, are we sad to see? Are we sad to see Harold Smith go? I well, yeah, because he's such a like Lenny Von Dolan is kind of a weirdo actor anyway, and it's mm. it, it's an odd character as well. So it, it's kind of fun to see somebody like dragging a triforkatops across their face and threatening people. Triforkatops, man, for the win! This episode has been the most productive episode ever. It's. I have a triforkatops. Boo. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to come down slightly different, even though he was a wonderfully weird character. What I love about this show is the commitment to, if that character story arc's finished, kill him. Uh, yeah, fair enough. And, I mean, we get rid of him in, in pretty short order. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, Deputy Hawk calls in the, uh, the cavalry. Sorry, it's slightly delayed. I was taking a sip of water. No, nah, it's fine. Um, you know, because it, it's not the most awesome thing that he can he could do in this situation. Like, still does it awesomely. <clears throat> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he discovered a dead body, and that's more than any of the other police do in this episode. Um, so he calls him in, and and the place is trash. Like before he he died, Agent Smith was like, "I'm going to ruin everything in my life. Then I'm going to hang myself." And 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 so he ripped up all these journals. So, in a nice touch of direction, uh, you see uh, people taking snapshots, like with the old flashbulbs, because you know this is Twin Peaks, and everything kind of comes from 1964 in one way or another. Including the wheelchairs. Oh, yeah, the, the rattan wheelchair. Like we we got you the best wheelchair that Wicker could buy. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, so, uh, he shredded all th these journals and they find the secret diary of Laura Palmer, 
but now their page is ripped out along with all the other journals. So it's just a big, like, it, it's like the parade. Speaking of good old US of A, like when, uh, you know, we came home in VE Day, Duncan. It's Victory in Europe Day. Um, and people were throwing ticker tape parades and stuff. Like, that's what Agents Miss uh, home rental uh, looks like. It must be a great memory, that, because that's the last time you won a war. <laughs> Vietnam was a draw. <laughs> it was a draw. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> true korea was a draw vietnam well they whooped your hides real good as john <laughs> clay said uh a fish called wanda i love that fucking movie oh it's amazing um yeah and then certainly i don't know that you would call what we've been doing in the middle east either a war or a victory um, <laughs> no it's still going though that's you know, great fallujah is our twinsies town that uh, is your twinsies town. It's just Yay. a lot of people just really unsure of what's going to come tomorrow. Um, Much like watching Twin Peaks. Yeah. All right. So back <laughs> back to the show. Uh, so let's go to the home of uh, Shelly and Leo Johnson, <sighs> where Bobby is there like going over some bills and whatnot. And after all the money that they get from, you know, scamming uncle sucker they realize that hey uh shelly's only gonna have 42 dollars to live off of and unlike your misinformation earlier this is where oh, they... this is where this happens that's right yeah this is where they have the conversation about um the we you know leo yeah. and shelly and bobby is trying to kind of make nice here but um Shelly gives him the necklace that he bought her Im impulsively when they thought they were going to be just rolling in government money. And um, Leo, the entire time, is just sitting at the, the kitchen table uh, drooling and, and, ha and has, like, oatmeal slowly dripping from his mouth. It's which, honestly, the best performance this actor's given in the series. Oh, no. How dare you, son? Or how dare you? The best is still to come. Oh, well, that's true. Um, but so they're complaining. And then once more, it looks like uh, Leo is up to something. But what he's doing is he's spitting yeah. and saying, new shoes. But he's saying it like a, like, like a, like the mima bird. Yeah. New shoes. Right. New like shoes. The, oh, God rest his minus soul. Yeah. Um, Which is ironic, really, because Lee was the one that killed him. Yeah. So maybe I like, maybe, to, I like the, to think of an alternative world where Leo's soul was trapped somewhere and so was the minor birds and it claimed his body. Right. We did like a, a like minor bird like son kind of thing. Yeah. Where he's like a kind of kind of freaky Friday situation where they swapped. <laughs> a freaky minor is what you Friday. call that. There's only one way these two are going to get along. <laughs> no shares, no shares. Um, hey, I'm a bird over here. Is the, the other character? Is that your Leo impression? Yeah, I'm a bird. <laughs> uh, 
but uh, so Bobby's theory is that Leo has a bunch of money because he's been into some shady shit for a long time. But he just they they've just got to find this money, and Leo's just like no shares, no shares. And meanwhile, the minor bird in the corner is like, I put a tape in the boot. <laughs> and Bobby's like, shut up, bird. You don't know nothing. <laughs> These episodes get funnier as the longer they go. I think I think what we should do from now on is speak for about two hours unrecorded and then start rolling on the episodes. And and then get going. Um Yeah, so I would love it if like there were a minor bird in the corner of the Johnson household, just revealing all the secrets of Twin Peaks and just nobody takes it seriously. Yeah. <laughs> There's an inhabiting spirit named Bob. He's probably to blame for Laura's death. Shut up, Bird! <laughs> God. Bird just keeps yapping. Oh, uh, <laughs> There's oh, a scene amazing. coming up with Ben and Audrey. God damn it, Bird! God, bird. Um, so the bird's right though, because there is a scene coming up with uh, Audrey and Ben Horn. Um, in this case, it's Audrey kind of putting the screws to her dad. Power plate. Yeah, where she's like, "Look, here's the thing. I know you own One Eye Jacks because I'm Audrey and I'm cool." And he's like, "Well, you know, half of those are right." And she's like, "Shut up, Dad." <laughs> Did, did Laura... You're not my real dad. Uh, no, you are my real dad. <laughs> right. I learned it from you. So, uh, yeah, the, the questions the question she comes out with, she first asks him how long he's owned it. He says he's owned it for five years. And then she really starts putting the screws down like that. Uh, did you know that Laura, uh, Laura worked there? Says yes. Uh, she didn't work there long, though. Um, she asks if he was aware that he'd been recruited. She'd been recruited through the perfume counter. He said no. He hooked her up with a job at the perfume counter and then didn't realise that she would ultimately end up there, which seems a bit woolly. Um, she then asks if he slept with him, um, to which he doesn't answer quickly, which is usually a giveaway that you have done something. Well, and um, also grabs a picture of Laura Palmer he keeps on his desk. On his fucking desk, That's... right? On his fucking desk. Weak and sauce, no Ben Horn. Yeah, no one said anything, but once again, it's the Laura effect, um, which seems to have smitten everyone in this town, because he said, yes, he slept with her. He was in love with her. Now, a couple of creepy things about this. One, that girl is the same age as your daughter. Ew, you know what I mean? That's not nice. Um, fucking two, why do you have a photo of her on the desk, and why is no one commenting on it? And, and three... Like, you are not the victim here. He's, like, bubbling away himself and crying because he, the girl he loved, uh, inappropriately loved, uh, is dead. Um, yeah. And, of course, the last question she asks is, did he, you know, obviously did he kill her? And, no, I loved her, I loved her. Um, so, yeah, kind of weird. But, uh, closes out questions once again that we already had answers to but kind of closes out the storyline to an extent right we we kind of understand at this point that ben horn might be might be an evil person but uh, you know doesn't seem to be the killer of laura palmer um and or at least that's what audrey has 
gotten from him. But Audrey is not content to let it go at that, and we'll get to that in a second. Because we've got to go to the double R, um, where Shelly tells Norma she's going to have to leave work for a little while to take care of Leo. And Norma's like, yeah, that's fine. Um, I mean, nobody Norma really creepily can. smiles throughout this whole scene. <laughs> she does. She has she has a very like huh, like a Stepford Norma smile. Um, <laughs> it's totally. And I was like, that where's is Hank in the background or something? No, there is no Hank here. Right. Um, I'm not in this episode um, <laughs> at all. On the pre- previous episode, it would be great if he um, like his head popped up from behind the the kitchen counter. Then was like, I'm not in this one. Because um, he got kidnapped at the end, remember? Got kidnapped by uh, Jack Reynolds. John. John Reynolds. Yeah, oh, um, oh, you have Twin Cities, but you can't say the name John. Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, anyway. It's, it's John. It's um, John. <laughs> Jean Reynolds. Jean Reynolds. Jean Reynolds. Hello there. I am also not in this episode. Um, yeah, um, we should probably pay our respects to Michael Parks, who died in the last week, actually, in between recording, and we have both said on this show uh, more than once that we admired the actor quite a bit. So. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Dumb uh, impression aside, uh, Michael Parks was a, a wonderful actor who had a, a long and storied career, amazing character actor, and... I mean the the world is worse for his passing. He, he... yeah, definitely. And we get at least we get to live back through some of uh, his work on Twin Peaks because the character will go back. But yeah, that was that was something that happened during the week. Yeah, uh, but yeah. So essentially, she creepily smiles throughout this entire scene, and then just when you think, right, this scene we're not really interested in, let's move on to the next one. The door swings open, and here comes Ed and Nadine. <laughs> I want a milkshake, Ed! I want a... Give me a milkshake! It brings all the boys to the yard! And, and they're like, it's been in years! And I'm like, damn right! It's been in years! <laughs> oh my god, that is harsh on the, the, the vocal cords. It, it it hurts a little. Um, Ed! Like... <laughs> Ed! I want a chocolate shake. And this he's is, like, he's a, I, I just want he a comes cup of coffee. He's like, just, she asked for two chocolate shakes and he's like, yeah, just coffee for me. And then she's like, put whipped cream on top. And then they have, once again, we're going to wring this joke out for every second we can get out of it. She asked Shelly if she goes to school with her. Shelly's like, no, I don't think you're in my class. She asked Norma how long she'd been working there. Norma at first says 20 years and then that doesn't make sense so then it becomes six weeks and yeah it's, it's just that it, it's building up to the punchline of this scene which is when nadine grabs the milkshake her freakish strength destroys a glass right uh, like she she has coma strength she has coma hulk strength and um and uh, for- i'm a coma hulk <laughs> dr bruce banner Battered by coma race, turns into Nadine. <laughs> Nadine smash, and <laughs> she like like destroys the thing. And at first, like they're like, oh, maybe there's a crack in the glass, and it's like, it's new on the crack in the glass now. And um, she's got 
Hulk strength. And then the scene finishes. Really yeah, it, delivering well, us nothing. With her staring at her bloody palm and just being like, <coughs> I'm so happy with you, Ed. There's nothing weird about any of this at all. Nothing. And yeah, so Shelly is going to go stay at home and, and Norma it was like, that's fine, Shelly. That, there is nothing wrong here. When you go to bed tonight, I would like you to sleep with this strange plant under your bed. Um, Ed! Ed! I want one of those plants! That's fine, Nadine. I think you might find that it is soothing. Uh, anyway, I don't, I don't know where I'm going with Invasion of the Nadine Snatchers, but um, <laughs> it, it's a movie I would watch. Uh, especially the remake. The remake is gonna be good. Um, anyway, so back to the Johnson household, cause we can't get away from this storyline and Bobby and his friend, Mike, uh, have gone to retrieve, uh, some shoes. Uh, like uh, we found out in the previous scene with, with Shelly, uh, with the whole new shoes thing that he had, he had taken some shoes in for repair and they go to pick them up, but there's nothing in the shoes, you know, because they, I guess, check the toe. And we're like, oh, I guess we thought there would be a million dollars in there. I don't know. Bobby's not thinking this through. And Mike is the one who's like, hey, maybe you should try to open those shoes up a little bit, proving that he is secretly the brains of this operation. Yeah. And um, then Bobby does what I normally do on my weekends which is just hammer my shoes. Um, I do it for fun, but he's looking for something. And it turns out they find a micro cassette. And instead of immediately listening to it, they're just like, say, this might be important. And meanwhile, Leo spits in a chair and says, no shoes. It, it's yeah. the, the thing that it reminds me of is uh, the, Job's done from Warcraft. I I've never played Warcraft. Oh, well. Look who has a video game podcast again all of a sudden. Yeah, who claimed that he didn't play it earlier on. You sit upon a throne of lies. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we go back to the, the sheriff's department. Uh, oh, or do we, Bo? Maybe you're lying about that as well. <laughs> oh, Duncan. <laughs> You have opened a brittle can of worms. But is it just springy snakes? Um, <laughs> God damn it. So, God damn it. God damn it. So, Agent Cooper, back in the sheriff's department. Do you believe it more from Wilfer Brimley? No. <laughs> I don't believe anything Wilford Brimley says, and neither should you. It's probably for the best. Agent Cooper is talking to, sh what's her name, Sarah, on his uh, gramophone. Um, Wilford Brimley is the face of American diabetes. Trust me, he does not look like he has changed his diet one iota since being diagnosed with it. There, the, I guarantee you If anything, that, it looks like he's ramped up. I, I guarantee you that... Every time Wilford Brimley sits down to a meal, the words country fried can describe at least one item on the plate. 
having some grilled salmon, country fried corn. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what it is. <laughs> Where, where's that boy with the handful of cream corn? Bring him in here. I want some of that. I want some country fried steak. I want some country fried carrots. And I want some cream corn. You see that white, white the little boy country fried. <laughs> I want that little David Lynch looking feller country fried. <laughs> God damn it. Oh. Uh, what did you say we were going in this episode now? Uh, the, sheriff's the sheriff's department. Yeah, sheriff's department where for the first time in a while, um, Agent Cooper is talking to uh, Diane and letting her know, like, hey, I'm I'm kind of piecing together um, the the diary, the secret diary of of Laura Palmer, and in so doing, he has found that the name Bob appears in in this diary um, on, as he puts it, a regular basis, and that there is he is described as a friend of her father's, yeah, and. Then he also reads a passage from a couple of weeks before where, or a couple of weeks before Laura's death, um, where he, uh, he reads like, I'm going to tell the world about Ben Horn. I'm going to tell the truth about Ben Horn. And all, you know, right on time, Audrey shows up looking fetching in a black sweater and suede skirt ensemble. I might add. Damn. Uh, I know it's it's very like early nineties, late eighties kind of chic, but I was like, Oh man, I remembered that look. Hamana hamana har Um Country Fried Audrey. Delicious. <laughs> Country fried chic. Right. Did you say sheep? I once ate an entire country fried sheep. Hair and all. That's how I get my fiber, goddammit. Uh, Audrey shows up though to say like hey uh, I talked to my dad and it turns out that Laura was working up at One Eye Jacks and also that he was doing it with her which is creepy and um, Agent Cooper is like alright let's let's put two and two together here because when Mike uh, freaked out uh, earlier today <laughs> he did so at the time that Ben Horn showed up now we just learned <laughs> I just like it when you get tickled uh, <laughs> now we know for sure that he was having an affair with Laura Palmer I'm going to let you ride this one out. Not edited for time, Twin Peaksies. let me know when you're ready to go again I'm not rushing you this is all staying in 
He's freaking. Oh, right, that's it. No more, no more laughing. No more joy in the world. That's <laughs> right, like, like, we have some real dark shit to get to. Quit, quit yucking it up over there. Oh, um, God, that was hilarious. <laughs> like, I started crying laughing because you were laughing so much. Um, that's what happens with everyone that podcasts with me. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, was it, it was the grr that got you, huh? Uh, that was it, yeah. All right. <laughs> it was well placed. I wasn't expecting that. All right. So, um, all right. So they're off to to take care of one Benjamin Horn, um, the curious case of Benjamin Horn coming soon. And yeah. So if our listeners are listening right now, they're like, <gasps> "The murder has been revealed." Maybe it has, ladies and gents. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Um. And so we cut to uh, Mr. Tojimura in the office of Ben Horn. <laughs> totally not see you next Tuesday, Catherine Martell. Totally not, man. Totally not. And uh, in walk, like, if you wanted to see four men in your office, these aren't the four. Because this means you're you're in some shit. Yep. It is, uh, of course, Agent Cooper, uh, one deputy, Tom Hawk. And learning that made my life complete. Like I, yeah, Tom, Tommy Hawk is his name. Tommy Hawk Hill. That's uh, the greatest thing ever. It's. It's you the greatest know, thing ever. Yeah, I mean, it's it, David it really Lynch is. just working on multiple levels again. <laughs> it, it really is the moment where I I realize like, oh, not only is he a genius, David Lynch, but he just like l- with laser precision beam something joyous into my brain that makes life suddenly good. Um, so it does. So, but all right. So it's it, it's our deputies, uh, Andy included. Uh, Sheriff Truman and Agent Cooper and uh, Ben Horner's like hey guys I'm in the middle of a meeting with this racist stereotype don't you get it <laughs> and they're like we see that and that's why we're stopping this scene dead in its tracks yeah uh, you need to come the with taste us police have entered <laughs> right like, Deputy Hawk is like look I've been through enough shit like this to know this is not how you treat a minority you're coming with us and uh ben horn is uh resistant to the yeah, idea he, of coming with him he kind of makes a fool of himself because he's like yeah maybe i could just go through this no don't take me and then he, he kind of flaps and makes this huge right well hullabaloo he says he's gonna go out for a sandwich he's like go away go away i'm gonna go get a sandwich and before he can get out the door Deputy Hawk does two awesome things in a row in this scene. One is to put the guy in a half Nelson to be like, you ain't going nowhere, pal. Like I saw that scene with you and Tojimura from the last episode. I got some shit to say to you. And then hands him off to Deputy Andy so that he can trink him. Oh, Deputy Hawk. I mean, Cacao. Ep-
episode after i mean it's no throwing the knife into a dude's back that is the pinnacle of hawk awesomeness yeah there's a reason that when the first five leaked images from the new twin peak season dropped one of them was hawk aging like a badass by the way too yeah that's that like compared to some of his cohorts yeah he looks good you know i mean he's older clearly i mean he's 20 years older but he i mean that silver mane of hair he has oh like a fine wine my thoughts exactly words out of my mouth um leaving uh so they drag ben horn out of there leaving tojimura uh behind to look on as if to say i'm so glad i didn't have to say anything else in this scene yeah all right so let's get to the shit. this is most interesting most honorable twin pixies <laughs> forgive her please i am uh, not in this episode anymore um so coming down the stairs of the Palmer household, we find in the next scene, as by the way, uh, a record plays, not plays, but it, it, it's like it's wound its way through the record and it's just like static in the needle uh, bumping against the end of the record. Um, Mrs. Palmer is crawling down the steps, not looking her best. No, this is this is like... <clears throat> The kind of shades of i mean this is like horrific because she's she has had issues before um but she's crawling down the steps and like like the spider rock scene from fucking the exorcist it's just this really creepy unnatural and we don't know what's going on we we don't know everything's like not in context so we don't we don't know what's going on all we know is she's crawling towards the record player and kind of seizes up passes out and then we think oh no hopefully someone will save her maybe maddie's in the house maybe maddie can save her and then the camera pans up and we see well nothing because we moved to a different scene oh right <laughs> we see nothing stick to the chronology god damn it um god damn it because we have to cut back to the sheriff's station where ben horn is being taken to the holding cell but the log lady appears uh, with uh, log in hand to uh, convince um, Agent Cooper and Sheriff Truman that's you know something is happening, and uh, she says, "Yes, it is. There are owls at the roadhouse." Yeah, owls are not what they seem. They are not. Um, I lied. Tojimura is in this episode a little bit. Yeah, Tojimura is the big reveal. Bro. Yeah, let's. All right, let's get to the big reveal of this episode. The most important thing that's going to happen for the remainder of the episode. Yeah. Tojimura shows up at the uh, the sawmill where Pete Martell is, uh, of course, fixing himself a glass of milk and some cookies because Pete Martell knows how to live. He is life's little joy. I'll tell you what, like everything Pete Martell's got going on in this scene, he's got a nice robe, uh, he's got uh, the milk, he's got the cookies, like he is settling in for the night in a great way. And Tojimura grabs him, kisses him full on the mouth, and says, I am a stranger attracted to you. (laughs) And Pete doesn't punch Tojimura, because that's how nice a guy is, he's like, I think there's been a 
misunderstanding here. I'm not interested. Doesn't doesn't react like homo- homophobically at all. It's just like, hey, listen, Buster. You know, Buster is as graphic as it gets with Pete. And then uh, Catherine starts speaking. Oh, did I give something away? <gasps> Catherine, see you next Tuesday, Martell. And she's, yeah, so she, she reveals herself to Pete. And Pete biggest says, shock of the episode. Biggest, the, the biggest shock. Bigger than the reveal of the actual killer of Laura Palmer is the fact that Catherine Martell was Mr. Tojimura all along. Yeah, I mean, who could possibly have known? So deceptive is Twin Peaksies. Um, so they're uh they're making out and assumedly you know he's probably gonna make her stay in the tojimura outfit to get down um yeah probably all right so now we can go back to the palmer household uh for a moment where um miss palmer crawling on her belly towards the record player looks up to see uh the horse from halloween too yes yeah the white horse appears um, she looks perplexed. I look perplexed. Looking at her, look perplexed. Um, the horse disappears. She then has a spasm and passes out. No end of scene this time. The camera pans round, and adjusting their tie in the mirror is one. Oh, it's Leland Palmer, or of is, it is Duncan? Well, it's Leland Palmer for a second as he's sorting his tie, and then with a bit of clever camera trickery um, and some not-so-great synced-up, uh, you know, uh, fake mirror uh, tricks, we find that Leland Palmer's reflection is that actually of Bob. Yes. All right. So, so all right, so we, we, we cut away Let's from unpack that. this. Unpack it. Unpack, yeah. unpack it, though, Bob. Unpack it. What does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? All right, unpack so it. Bob who is an inhabiting spirit, a demon, if you will, mm-hmm. um, has been possessing, like, because we, we learned this information about the journal that Laura was saying that Bob was a friend of her father's. We also yeah. learned from Mike that Bob is, uh, like, not just a, an inhabiting spirit, but he is a force, obviously, of evil and that the fact that Laura is saying, hey, there ha- like this friend of my dad's, I've seen him a bunch. And also, as Agent Cooper uh, suggested, there has been abuse and molestation in the Palmer household. One can only assume from that, Duncan, that Bob was the motivating force for some really heinous shit that was going down in the Palmer household. Yeah, but like, uh, w- what we learn is Bob's been out for 40 years, which we tie with the timeline that Leland said that when he used to go up to his parents, or his, his grandparents or uncles or whatever it was, Lakeside House, there was an old man called Bob who lived in the house beside. And he, he would speak to Bob, and Bob would flip matches at him and all the rest. But what we probably didn't tie in at that point is Bob being a spirit most likely took over control of Leland then and has been with him i would imagine very much like the mike spirit in that he isn't constantly in control but kind of can jump in and out when he wants to and um, but 
he's attached himself to Leland. Um, and like you say, the implication from the diary is that some horrible fucking shit happened at the hands of our own father, which is something that makes my fucking skin fucking crawl. Um, and we know that, you know, obviously Laura met her death or demise at the hands of someone after she escaped the party. Um, that she was at, so uh, it's most likely that when she left Leo John's, etc., um, she she bumped into her dad uh, as Bob, um, and then ultimately ended up dead. Um, so this scene runs. This scene coming up runs in parallel with a scene at the bar. Yes. Which is wonderful, right? I've got to stress, like, this when I said earlier on, we have what I would say is uh, maybe the last 10 minutes of this episode are two juxtaposing sort of images of of one which is this really ethereal, kind of beautiful scene of this music, which is very haunting, which we've had at this bar by the band whose name escapes me. Um, Like, all like. Julie Cruz. I believe that's it. And we're going to have this unpacked alongside what the the next scene is involving Bob. And for those of a sensitive disposition, uh, you may want to turn away now. Bo, tell us what happens. All right. uh, First, I got to get to my favorite thing that happens with James in either. Uh, Oh, James is back. That's right. James, tell us your James joke. So. Uh, it's Donna and James, like Donna's having a smoke and looking all sultry, and James is uh, at the roadhouse with her. They're both drinking Coca-Colas, um, and it's when when James, like Donna is describing um, the the death of, of Agent Smith, you know, and she's saying Agent Smith died, and it, it was really, like, there was some hurt inside him that I just, I, I didn't understand. And James's response is, everybody's hurt inside. And uh, what made me laugh, she says, uh, his whole life was in that house and I violated that. And what leapt to mind was, everybody's life is in the house and everybody violates that. Like, just repeat that right that he just th- like repeats what she says with everyone in front of it and the whole scene <laughs> you can kind of do that if you want to play this particular drinking game at home every time donna says something just repeat what she says with everyone at the front of it uh, in the james voice and it will make you a better person <laughs> james is such a fucking idiot man, <laughs> he was he was hurt inside everybody's hurt inside you don't look like laura um <laughs> Because he's got to slip that in. But so Julie Cruz is singing um, uh, at, the, at the front of the club uh, a song about like, I want you rocking back in my heart. And um, <laughs> at one point, Donna is singing along. And the yeah. other thing that really made me laugh is James saying like, the band is coming out of your mouth, Donna. <laughs> the whole band, the whole band comes out of your mouth right now. Uh, <laughs> I just want to understand lip syncing at all. Um, so 
uh, Sheriff Truman, Agent Cooper, and the Log Lady are hanging out at a table watching the show because the owls are at at the uh, the roadhouse, and they're just waiting. And they're for, not what they seem. They are not what they seem, and we're waiting for some bad shit to uh, to go down. Well, and, we're waiting to find out why Cooper has ended up at the roadhouse, and he has like in the middle of the song, everything freezes. Yes, and Every- everyone freezes actually, apart from Cooper. And this is one of Cooper's visions. And at the front of the stage, our friendly giant appears that we've not seen in quite some time. Um, and he, very much like the log lady, uh, stresses that it's happening again. Well, in in fairness, the log lady is not frozen either. No, she can move. That's right. Um, he's like, it's happening. It's, it's happening again. It's happening again. And whilst this is happening, you know, he's saying this and we're frozen in this thing, we then get a clip back in the, the Palmer household where Leland Bob Palmer is putting on some white rubber gloves. And I'm looking, I'm going, you know, well, I know what happens. But the first time I watched it, I remember distinctly being aware of he's going to kill his wife. You know, she's helpless. Leave the wife alone. Why would you do that? And that's not quite what happens. Instead, we get something even more harrowing. Um, even more stomach-turning, actually. The scene is fucking terrifying. Like, genuinely unsettling. Because uh, we hear Maddie come down the stairs. Now, Maddie had already said, and I think we may have missed that scene we, earlier on. We glossed over it because it's really just her sitting down as the the uh, record. It's uh, What a Wonderful World plays. Yeah, and she, and she says, says she's leave. She says she's going to leave. She's got a, a life that she wants to go back to, which obviously in Twin Peaks means you're about to die. Um, and once again, brings me back to my my point. One of the reasons I love Twin Peaks is when a character's like story arc is finished, Twin Peaks will kill you because that's what we do. And um, you know, it's like we're not bringing her back. Um, so yeah, so she comes downstairs because she can smell something weird. Um, and when she comes down, she sees her aunt, obviously, on the ground. And then she sees Leland. But she, too, because we saw this earlier on, she has the ability, much like Laura has, much like... Well, um, his wife, the mo- yeah. Yeah, the, wi- the wife has, uh, and much like Agent Cooper has, to an extent, um, are all have the ability to see Bob. So Bob like starts kind of chasing her. Um, and grabs her and uh, you know this is still a fairly it's a harrowing scene but it's still a fairly innocent scene and we get these flashes between Leland's got her no it's actually Bob that's got her and they kind of have this kind of almost cartoonish like kind of run round the living room like where they're just like you're behind the couch I'm behind the couch you know sort of thing and it's I think this is really really clever because it it's shot in such a way that it is. There's a kind of slow motion thing going on, not like a full slow motion, but it is slower in tempo. Um, and the camera has this kind of driftiness about it, where it's following them. And he's he grabs her, and then I swear to God, this shocked me more than pretty much watching it back. Especially this shocked me more than I thought it would. Leland Palmer fucking punches her in the face, and the sound sounds real. It's. It's really, really disturbing to see a grown man punching a young woman. And like, 
You don't yeah. see him make contact, but it's no. you know she's kind of under him. But when uh, in in the same shot, like you see the punch, and then he pulls back, and she's got blood like all over her yeah. teeth and stuff. It's really disturbing. Yeah, he then grab he like grabs her, uh, puts her on the couch, um, repeatedly punches her, then grabs her, lifts her up, starts spinning around with her, and then Leland kind of takes back over control for like moments um, and starts spinning around with her, holding her, you know, obviously completely devastated about the loss of Laura, keeps calling her Laura, spinning her round and round and round, and then Bob takes over again, and then Bob really is a message from Leland um which is, you know, about her traveling to wherever it was she was she was going to somewhere. Missoula. Yeah, which sounds made up to me. Um, that's a real place. Yeah. It's a, a twin <laughs> city with Marseille. I knew you were going to say twin. That's, that's fine. Twin twins with uh, Falkirk. Um, that's how she did know. Uh, and he then fucks her head off uh, like a, a painting. Um, which which also... We saw in the the scene earlier actually says Missoula on the painting. So when he says you're Did going to Missoula, Montana, he's driving her face into the picture that says Missoula. Did not know that. That's fucking cool as fuck. She falls back and she's kind of stunned, um, stroke unconscious, um, and then he he finishes her off. It's horrific. It's actually, it's, I know we've been like having a, a laugh and fun and all the rest. This scene is genuinely jarring. And it's, the reason it is, is because David Lynch is behind the camera. Well, it goes back to the scene where you see the death of Laura Palmer when her face is all bloody. And, yeah. and Bob like going to town. Yeah. Um. By the way, that's an excellent children's book, Bob going to town. <laughs> yeah, um, that's. Yeah, I remember that one. That's where he goes down, picks up a woman, rapes her, and kills her. Yeah, yeah, favorite. yeah. Well, you know, and on, a... on his way, he stops for sweets. <laughs> yeah, on his way to the molestation. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it is. I mean, it's in the top five most disturbing things you're ever going to see in Twin Peaks. Yeah, easily, easily. Uh, I, granted that in those top five, I think Bob is in four of them. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, but that's what you want, right? It, like, Bob is kind of your monster. And, yeah. And he is truly monstrous. Um, yeah. Well, and the I, thing about him is he doesn't look, that's it. I think that's the genius of the show. He doesn't, when you see him standing, he doesn't look terrifying. It's the fact that, it's the way that he's shot. He's not a big guy either. He's smaller than Ray Wise. And he's very slight, he's very skinny. Um, but David Lynch using his techniques as a filmmaker makes him terrifying, like makes him actually terrifying. And as a result, this whole scene, because the song that we heard before is this very whimsical song about love and all, all the rest, and then this is what you get right after it. It's it has such a weight to it, man. It has such an impact. I and. It's it's just fucking as one of my favorite scenes in the the second season. I think it's phenomenal. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and like this whole episode, 
I would argue, aside from the Bobby Shelley stuff, is really, really good. Um, also, there's a moment when you see, like, it, it's the moment where the spotlight is on Bob as he's chasing um, Maddie around the living room. And he's got her kind of cornered. And he's doing this little dance and he's making those like come here hands, you know, like you do if you're like if you're playing with a kid or something, you know, where you're just like, all right, you know, you're going to try to run past me, but I'm ready for you. That kind of thing that there is a playful evil, a playful malevolence to Bob that is really terrifying. And from that scene we move back to the roadhouse where the only thing left is for julie cruz to sing a much sadder song and for some reason bobby briggs and donna are in tears it's very much like the 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 reveal of laura's death at the school so when the teacher came in before they could say anything they it's like they all knew already um and kip appears to i don't know i I, I may have got this wrong kip's ring is back is that right well he started rubbing his finger his ring finger um and i just assumed that meant his ring was back Uh, i'll I'll, I'll have to double check the math on that i'm i'm not sure off the top of my head but he does like stare at the red velvet curtains behind uh julie cruz at all um and there there are definite like over overtones nods to his time in the in the red room and it's yeah i mean it really is just it's it's disturbing and frightening and all the things that that twin peaks can be when it's at its best like my favorite things about uh twin peaks are when it gets really silly and when it gets really horrifying and it, yeah. it manages to do both um man uh so good so good this yeah. episode yeah well th- th- this is for all intents purposes and this we will from this point really chart the 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 decline and downfall of this show almost from as from the next episode really onwards um no, that's not to say that it's all bad. There are stuff in which is definitely worth watching, and we'll we'll, we'll carry it through with it. But you have built an entire show on solving the death of Laura Palmer, and at this stage, which is well, I think we've still got fifteen episodes to go, bro, of this season. At this stage, we have now identified who the killer is. Right, but so, but who the killer is is just so esoteric. Yeah, yeah, you know. But I, what I mean is that the the mystique, the mis, the mysterious nature of the show, the show was built on audiences wanting to find the mystery and being intrigued by the journey to get to the end of that mystery, and we are very close to the end of this mystery in that we now know who the killer is. Um, our detectives might not know, our FBI agents might not know, but we know, which removes a level of mystery and 
it should not take 15 episodes to catch Leland Palmer. And I can't say any more about that. But that's one of... We're charting it from now, so... Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it Right. We're, we're not in for the best ride ahead of us. But what we can do, Duncan, the best, the best that two mortal... I mean, not to give it away, but we're both going to die. Uh, mortal men can do is to try to make the uh, the journey as entertaining as possible. There's still good stuff to be had. Don't get me wrong. Oh, loads. There's loads. There are loads of things that happen that that are crying out for us to acknowledge their 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 fleets of genius, and there is plenty for us to ridicule moving forward. So. I actually just wanted, I, I, I would go as far as to say that business is just now at this point picking up. This is the part, this is the part of the Duncan and Bogle to Twin Peaks. From this point onwards, this is where it gets exciting. <laughs> this, this is where we prove our mettle, where we can honestly say, this is going to get weird. Yeah. And I can't wait. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, the, the case is over, Duncan. We know, uh, without question, Bob is responsible for the death of Laura Palmer via, uh, Leland Palmer, who again has been probably be doing some really, really awful, awful stuff, uh, in, in the Palmer household for years and years. Um, but given the fact that Bob is let's say a demon mm-hmm. how as an fbi agent duncan how in the world will agent cooper arrest uh capture prosecute a demon those are the questions ahead of us and uh i for one cannot wait to get to the bottom of it it's gonna be good yep um all right listeners look uh we we don't mean to go this long this is a new record. Uh, yeah, you're probably right. So, look, we're every fucking episode, every episode. But see, by the time we get another three episodes into this, we're going to be recording for half a day. Well, so or we or... need to tone it back, Bo. We need to do something. We need to con- we need to do something to restrain the conversation. Or it's going to be 15 minutes long because we're going to be like, man, this episode's not good. All right, well, let's yeah, just there's get to also that. yeah, the, I can't wait for the old James episode. This episode looks there like is, Laura. <laughs> there is no old James episode, so you're safe. Uh, oh, well, isn't there, Duncan? Isn't there really? Um, well, in, in a parallel dimension where everyone hates each other and David Lynch hates everyone else, um, he made that episode, and it was every episode of season two. You know what? Here's what I secretly hope, is that we we go into the new season of Twin Peaks, and James is the best thing about it. It could, ha- dude. It could totally. Yes. Happen. It absolutely it could. Totally could. Um, but before that, we've got the rest of season two. We have Firewalk with me. Then we have another season of Twin Peaks. We're just getting started, folks. Uh, the 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 murderer of Laura Palmer may have been identified, but what hasn't been identified? What other dumb voices we're gonna do? Just tonight, you heard Wilford Brimley, and nobody knew that was gonna happen. No one. Least of no all me. Most, I didn't know. No, n- nobody knew. Nobody knew. 
Nobody knew how hard healthcare was, Duncan. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, all right. Enough screwing around. Duncan, thank you, as always, for being here, for staying up late. And I, and it, I got to be honest, we intentionally do this kind of late for you because it leads to you laughing for a solid 30 seconds, which is <laughs> podcast gold. Um, but if people want to hear you laughing at other things, where, where could they find you? Uh, you can find me over at the podcast under the stairs. It can be reached at tputzcast.com, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash tputzcast and on iTunes, proud member of Legion Podcast Network. I will drop an exclusive here because I know that not all the Teaputz listeners listen to this. Monday will be when I drop the first episode of Baz B. Leatherface. Oh, nice. I've lied to my listeners. I've told them it'll be a week after to spring a surprise on them. So we'll find out how many eagle-eared, eagle-eared, wolf-eared listeners um, pick up on this. What I would say, wolf-eared listeners, is don't spoil it in the group page. Keep it to yourself. Drop in Monday, Baz versus the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and TCM2 coming Monday. All right, man, you sneaky Pete. Um, That's what I do. So uh, if you want more of this stuff, go to legionpodcasts.com. Also, uh, hop over to the Facebook page, Legion Podcasts. Um, Join up if you haven't already. We are going to be launching a t-shirt pretty soon. Uh, I think we have the final design and style of the shirt. We're kind of working on pricing right now. So uh, hop on over there. If you enjoy this show, if you enjoy the other show on legionpodcasts.com, uh, which is where you can find a list of everything, we now have somewhere in the neighborhood, I think it's 400 shows uh, by last count. So we have something for everyone. Uh, more is coming seemingly all the time, which uh, keeps me hopping. But uh, if you want to support those shows and, and the website and just horror in general, honestly, if you want to support good the, the pure goodness uh then keep an eye out for those sh- shirts to land uh because buying a shirt literally saves a kitten um i think that's it listeners thank you again for sticking with us i hope you enjoyed it you seem to be uh keep us posted let us know what you think uh drop by the legion podcasts uh facebook page hop over to the podcast under the stairs you can find each of us individually there let us know what you're enjoying. And by the way, keep up the artwork. Oh my God. Do I so love much. the artwork? Uh, so much. So good. So good. Yeah. You guys are the best. Honestly, we're, we are having such a blast recording this show and, and you guys have, have done nothing but make it better and better and better. So uh, n- without further ado, thank you all so much. We will be back next week for two more episodes of uh, Twin Peaks. And uh, don't forget, hashtag Twin Peaks, no backsies. Good night, everybody. Say good night, Duncan. Bye.